Okay. Well, I am Storm. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're Paul, and I'm right, Storm. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> so they actually did a mic break like that, or a, a station drop for me, where they argued for a couple seconds about who was who, and then <laughs> they got their stuff together. Oh, We're Paul and Storm, and you're listening to the Geeky Pleasures Radio Show. <laughs> I have not heard that. So let me introduce you. Um, this is just uh, gleaned from a brief little blurb gleaned from your website. As Julia Sherrod, or Jules as she goes by, is I think the brains and also the chief cook and bottle washer, and I'm guessing pretty much everything else behind the Geeky Pleasures website at juliasherrod.com. Is that uh, accurate? Yes, it is. Also, if people, because my name is one of those names that is very rare and people don't remember it, if you go to geekypleasures.com, they'll get you to the same place. Excellent. Okay, so it's basically a combination uh, blog, interviews, reviews, ads, links. Um, you are a science fiction fan, a gamer, mm -hmm. a mom, a radio mm -hmm. producer, radio manager. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff. And you've interviewed some very geeky uh, folks and some famous geeks, including Will Wheaton and Jonathan yeah. Colton and Phil Plate, the bad astronomer. Yes. And uh, you now work for the Force 925 as. 92.5. Oh, 92.5. So, uh, and, and you're curator of the Lupus Awareness Virtual Art Gallery. So ninety two point five. I'm I'm a little unclear on these radio stations. Are they also broadcast? No. Here's here's it's a marketing thing because a lot of people have because there's a lot of internet radio stations out there that aren't formatted like terrestrial radio stations or satellite radio stations per se, where they just you can go on and they just basically have an auto DJ where they play one um, genre of music. Um, but whereas we were an actual radio station with formatting and everything you'd expect on a terrestrial radio station. But to make that connect in people's heads, we use like the same vocabulary you'd expect from a terrestrial, like the Force 92.5. We have a call number just right. to help people make that leap that, yes, just because you don't listen to it in your car, you listen to it on your phone or your iPad or your computer, it is still a radio station. So you do the, I've, I have noticed, uh, I don't listen a whole lot, but I have listened to a few shows. You do the the regular uh, station ID at the top and bottom of the hour, more or less within the usual uh, like radio we, time window. Kind of. We have, we the basic formatting that we have for everybody's shows, like we're a multi-genre station. So every new show, there's a new genre that comes on. But the things that you will expect to hear, regardless of what genre you're listening to, is there'll be a mic break at the top of the hour, and then every 15 minutes, the station drops, kind of put in between them, and music, unless it's a talk show, and then it's talk. But it's like every 15 minutes is when the personality will speak and engage the, the listeners, mix in between station drops with IDs and, and music. Okay. So... um. Let me introduce myself for anyone who might uh, like link to this after uh, finding it on on your blog if you end up linking to it or something like I that. I will, of course. Okay, so I'm Paul <laughs> R. Potts. Uh, I'm a geek dad, a software engineer my, in my day job. Uh, I'm a blogger, podcaster, and amateur musician. Um, 
I have a background in college radio. I was a DJ and a production manager uh, quite quite a few years ago when we made carts by uh, splicing together pieces of tape. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, I've known you for a little while, uh, pretty much entirely online. You were a big fan of Song Fu and Joe Covenant Lamb when he won Song Fu. Uh, I don't know if I'd say I was a fan. I'm, I hate the word fan. I really do. It's It's a yucky word to me. I'm more of a supporter of individuals rather than like Song Fu as a whole. I was not a fan prior uh, to Joe coming into my life. I oh, it, okay, that's fair. Yeah, it didn't make any difference to me whatsoever. It it was just oh, like it it had no significance to me. And then um, Joe kind of harangued me as we like to joke around and say it wasn't really haranguing, was a mutual thing. And <laughs> said so you got to check this out because I'm entering the next one and. I said, okay, I guess so. And that's how I came to know the rest of you guys. Excellent. And uh, I wrote a song about a proton called Polly Loves the Rain. Yeah, which, uh, this is you, my you... favorite geeky song ever. <laughs> well, you're the, definitely the, the biggest and most vocal and enthusiastic fan of that song. So that's been, uh, I really appreciate your support. Uh, I play that often during my Geeky Pleasures radio show. I just love that song I'm, so I'm much. Glad to glad to hear it. Um, I am I'm continuing as time allows with the sort of music uh, production. I'm probably entering again if there's another spin tunes, I'll probably enter mm-hmm. that, but uh, my time is, is well you're you're a mom. You're you're familiar yes. with it. Um, yes, but I don't have four children with another on the way. Yeah. <laughs> I only have the two and they're almost grown up. Yeah. So that's, so that's... you have you have an almost grown up and Three little ones, soon to be four little ones. Yeah. So it's, it's, no, it's, it's even more crazy for you. It is. It is a little crazy, and I don't. Uh, I don't get nearly as much time. My my oldest son is now at the moment downstairs. Uh, the kids are plunked in front of. Uh, um, I think they're watching Avatar, and uh, not the the live action movie. God forbid. <laughs> the, the animated uh, movie. Yes. And there are several doors and a whole floor between us, and I have headphones on, and I can't hear them screaming. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, um, I did a, a an interview with uh, Sean Hurley, uh, who uh, is the is also known as Sherwin Sleeves in his uh, Sherwin Sleeves storytelling persona, mm-hmm. uh, on and. Um, that's really the first interview I've done with uh, my podcast, but I think I'm leaning, I'm trying to basically produce it more regularly. So I'm leaning in the direction of possibly doing more interviews. Listening back to my interview with uh, with Sean, it, it was a little hyper. I was talking over him a lot and uh, felt uh, sounded a little over-caffeinated or something. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to be a little mellower this time. Uh, so... Um, and would just say so i don't have a fixed agenda i I wrote down a few quick notes but Mm -hmm. um uh whatever you would like to talk about for me right now of course the biggest thing in my head i can't really deny that i was you know obviously reading about the disaster in japan and and very concerned i was reading um about the uh the nuclear plants Mm -hmm. and um trying to figure out what might be happening with the containment there and the and the reactors and looking at pictures of uh workers in um 
hazmat suits with masks yes. on, scanning children, uh, trying to determine if they were had uh, been contaminated with radioactive material. That's disturbing. Uh, you the know, I mean, the whole thing, thing is, is disturbing. <laughs> yeah. It, it reminds me, I was watching um, QI the other night. It's a brilliant show, and if it, people need to watch it. But um, if they I'm don't not sure, already. I'm not sure what that is. QI's with Stephen Fry, and it is from the BBC, um, and it goes through the alphabet, like um, series H just ended, so whatever eight or H is in the alphabet, that's the number of seasons that have been done so far. Uh, and one of the, they were um, asking who was the luckiest man on earth, and maybe he wasn't so lucky after all. But it reminded, like this earthquake and how they've dealt with it, reminded me of what happened. There was this guy who was in um, Hiroshima when the first bomb dropped. The next day, he was on a plane to Nagasaki, or on a train to Nagasaki, and w- lived through the second bomb. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and people just, it, just us in the West, thinking that the trains were running within hours after a nuclear event happened, and they just jab Japanese culture people. They just went on with their life, and trains ran, and they cleaned it up, and then the next one happened, and the trains again were running shortly thereafter, and they went on with their with their um, lives. Wow. And I think it's more, um, as we were talking about on Facebook, I think it's more of a gobsmacking thing for maybe people in the U.S. than, say, Japan. Because, or even for me, for instance, like a lot of people are like, wow, this is crazy, and there hasn't been an event like this. But there was one very, it was worse, actually, in 64. There was a nine-point-something earthquake off of the... um, just right off of the edge of Alaska, and it caused this huge, huge mountainous rock slide, which caused a tsunami worse than the one that just happened. And Vancouver Island, where I live, like it was, the devastation was just beyond crazy. And that's when um, we got very conscious about tsunami um, efforts and and um, advanced warning systems and stuff came to um, more of an effect in our part of the Pacific Rim. Devastation as far as casualties or as far as just... Um, well, because Vancouver Island was very rural at the point, right, gonna, the, ca- not, the, the, not... Life, um, the life casualties wasn't that great. But when it came to damage of the actual land and, the, and that type of devastation, sure. it was very similar to what people witnessed. And I think maybe part of the difference as well is in 64, when this happened, we didn't have this everyone's connected Right, right. And now thanks to social media and stuff like that, like the whole entire world was watching yeah. as this was happening. It was it was mind blowing. I was watching some video clips of the of the tsunami slicing its way across uh farm communities. Yes. You know, just just uh just mind blowing, just uh very disturbing. Part of your part of my brain it sounds like a terrible thing to say. Part of in the back of my mind, part of my brain was saying, Wow, what a what an amazing special effect well, in that is. video game, and and the rest of my brain is saying is is weeping. You know, it's like holy, yeah. just I I couldn't believe it. It reminded me, uh, it's the the I never played it, but I read about it, the game where you were creating a big ball, you're rolling up all these objects to create a giant ball. Oh oh, I know, I can't think of the title of it right now. Uh, but I know anyway, but it looked it picked up. You wind up picking up bigger and bigger things until you're picking mm-hmm. up houses, and it's like. And here there are flaming buildings sliding 
in in a giant mudslide almost and it's just the whole it it part of me too i feel bad about it because the the part of my brain that's very logical and rational knows like wow look at all the science we're gonna learn from this and this is just mother nature is amazing at the sheer power that that the earth can do and these type of events happen often enough but we're more it's more in our face now that we're all instantly connected to each other all connected and also just so much population there so densely populated but yeah there is no denying i mean uh, as far as the damages uh, to the cities and to the buildings and the skyscrapers you know science works bitches (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like they they well that's that's one thing during my geeky pleasures radio show last night just it's was i was so blah because of that and other things that are going on in the world right now like with wisconsin and michigan and just in the states in general yeah. and in Libya and other places in the Middle East and then Japan and Christchurch and it's just been one thing after another and um so last night's topic was things of a geeky or nerdy nature that you're thankful for and one of the things that I was thankful for was for the science and the technology that allows us to build buildings that sway with an earthquake instead of crumpling right, under right. the waves of an earthquake the, the devastation in Japan would have been a lot worse Absolutely. if it were not for their strict building codes that have buildings that move. <laughs> yeah, and the reason with, for their strict building codes is because of their past experience with just overwhelming yeah. uh, devastation to uh, to populated areas like that, to urban areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of people forget that we live on in a world that's still forming. It, it's right. not done. Like the right, Himalayan right. mountains are still growing a few centimeters every single year and that's because of tectonic shifts yeah. and pushing like it's still a young mountain it's same with um the rocky mountains and, and those mountains are still growing and getting bigger a little factoid that i like to uh, to quote to people is that uh the stone the the rock itself that the peak of everest is made of is limestone that was at the bottom of an ocean. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, that just is a little mind. That's a little mind blowing. But yeah, like it, it's not happening in, in such a violent, quick fashion as it was at the beginning of the formation of the Earth. But the Earth is still forming, and it's sure. still it's what caused continental drift, and it's still causing continental drift. Yeah. And and it's constant, like every few years, and we don't really notice it. New maps have to be drawn because things move. Right. Still, and and are still, and then. The, the, the worst thing about it, like if it was, um, you can't see my hands, but there's like different types of fault lines, ones that rub side by side, subduction ones where one plate goes on the other. And most of the Pacific Rim is on the subduction plates. And that causes the worst earthquakes is when one plate's going under another and it kind of kicks up the top plate and everything rumbles. Where like you live actually underneath of a, a very active fault line, but because it's the type of plate that rubs side by side, most of the time, you guys don't feel the effects the same way as we do in the Pacific Rim. It's uh, it's true, but yeah, we in college once, uh, in the middle of I was went to school in Ohio, and in the middle of uh, an ordinary uh, afternoon, I was sitting at a at a computer in my dorm in the in the com- in a computer room in my dorm, and suddenly noticed that the table was kind of shaking against my knees. Mm-hmm. And not not dramatically, it wasn't a very big quake, but we had a uh, an earthquake, and there was one building on campus that suffered some minor damage, had some some cracks in stairwells, 
That was the geology building. <laughs> <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> it was very funny, but it, it was a little strange. I've I've never been in a ser- in a severe earthquake. I've been in a five point five or so in uh, Los Angeles, and that was enough. Mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I don't really need to. Uh, Here's the to thing. I think the biggest one that that I've experienced is six point five living on the island, which is actually like for every point, it's like right. thirty two order of magnitude like it's not it's 10 lo- degrees logarithmic. it's 32 degrees yeah yeah and um but every time we get quakes here because we get them all the time they're either they're two like 2.0 or four, like they're mostly between the two and four range and we get them a few times a year here and most people don't even notice it because they're pretty deep they just get picked up on the the, the things that measure those things because we've been preparing for our next big one it's been about 400 years since we've had a 10 in this area. So we're due. And that's kind of like there is a pattern to these things. Um, but every time there's a tornado or a hurricane that happens in your part of the world, I think I'm so glad that all I have to worry about is the earth shaking and not my house being picked up and relocated <laughs> to yeah. somewhere else. Like once in a while, we'll, we'll get like 100 kilometer an hour winds and they scare the living bejeebies right out of me the other day the winds were so bad that they were ripping the shingles off of the neighbor's house and transporting them into my backyard wow and i'm thinking no please give me an earthquake because at least those only last a couple minutes yeah (laughs) it's not hours of devastation even though it can cause wreak the same havoc it's i find them maybe less stressful than hurricanes and tornadoes and cyclones and Right. All the other crazy things that we, nature throws at us. We had pretty severe weather here. The weather's definitely changing, and people are mm-hmm. in denial. But um, we had uh, what we're referring to now as the Groundhog Day storm here, in which I, I believe 40, <laughs> 47 out of the 48 states were covered with snow. It was 40. It was all of them except for Florida. Yeah. Well, well, I guess that's true. Did Hawaii have snow? Yes. Hawaii had once in a while the top of the mountains, the volcanoes. But yeah, it was 49. Uh, It was every single state except for Florida had snow. And uh, we had high winds as well. And I have a, you know, once you, we we bought a house last summer. And and once you, uh, this is our first house. And I'm in my Mm -hmm. almost mid 40s. so we're we're a little late to this game, and and it's a it's quite a transition. But once you actually own the the house, it's like suddenly severe weather and all that. Uh, it has a you have a little bit different perspective on it when your uh, yard is flooded with melting snow or or mm-hmm. you know there's a blizzard happening. And we had high winds and enough uh, snow came blowing in through a small ventilation hole in our attic that water was leaking down through the ceiling into my. <gasps> So the the roof is great, but it's just um, the weather was so unusual that it was stressing the system in ways that it doesn't mm-hmm. normally deal with. So it just happened to, uh, you know, snow doesn't usually come down sideways like that. <laughs> yes. So I, I you know, Saginaw is, is uh, pretty moderately far north and gets snow um but this was a severe winter and we've had a lot of a lot of snow and a lot of strange um snow mm-hmm. after snow so and yeah that was a fairly we had 11 inches of snow which is, you know could be worse i grew up in uh in erie pennsylvania which is gets snow like buffalo but the thing there is um 
when we had storms, I remember being awake late at night and hearing plows all through the, you know, big plow trucks yes. taking care of it. And it was very rare that we'd have uh, school actually close. It pretty much, pretty much had to be measured in feet overnight before, really? before. So we'd have to get at least a foot. But there were times when, you know, we'd have such a severe blizzard that uh, we'd have one or two snow days in a row. But, uh, Mm-hmm. Um, but out here, uh, the city is poorer and uh, the infrastructure more stretched. And I don't think mm-hmm. they just don't have the resources to salt and plow all through the night and whatnot. So Isaac's had at least, uh, I think he had at least five, five or six snow days. I, I, I'm doing count for sure. But uh, there, there was a, there's a book. Um, that I read a few years ago, you're talking about subduction and whatnot, uh, called mm-hmm. Annals of the Former World by John McPhee. And it's actually like an omnibus edition of some of his other science books put together in one cover. But it's all, uh, it's all about uh, geology. It's the, basically the... Oh, really? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. I really enjoyed it. It's pretty you know, long and, and, and dense. But it's basically, uh, I'm looking at... I don't have my copy here, so I'm looking at the Amazon blurb. Like it's about mm-hmm. Appalachian Mountain System, the Rockies. The uh, uh, there's one of the volumes is called Assembling California, and it's oh, basically cool. you know talks about how all these pieces of the plate mm-hmm. of the plates fit together and what that means, you know. Uh, and yes. then uh, the craton crossing the craton, which is. Uh, the core of the continent, which is Illinois, Iowa, yes. and Nebraska, which I you must have taken uh, taken at least one class in this because yeah, well, what I did when I like my formal education is psychology, and for my science I took geology, yeah, because um, I almost took chemistry or physics because that's what I took in high school, but I'm like, no, I want to do something new, right? Something that and it had to be a lab course. To, right. to qualify for um for my degree, so I took geology because it, it incorporates some physics in it and it incorporates chemistry sure. and, and I find nature and that kind of stuff just really fascinating, and um it was it was one of my most favorite science courses that I ever ever took yeah <laughs> like yeah. um especially the field work because I live in a very active area when it comes to seismic activity and we have volcanoes that are due to wake up right. in British Columbia <laughs> at any time and we have a lot of different um like you can find um all the different forms of rock here especially here on the islands like um and and just reading about how all of it works is just so neat yeah <laughs> it's and and terrifying, and it just r- puts you in awe. Well, it does. It does. I mean, the the idea that that all the rock that we're looking at now has been recycled. You know, yeah. I mean, not not everywhere. There there are some small bits of uh, of you know archaean, like pre archaean, I guess, original rocks. But they're usually in the form of like these tiny crystals of rock that have yes. that are surviving that have been melted down and 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 fused into something else you know and uh, it's just uh, that's that's just amazing that even the rocks aren't uh, aren't original that everything gets recycled you know yeah it's it's the most 
the way the earth works, it's amazing that it works at all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> same with the human body, right? Like, it's just amazing that this stuff works at all. And I don't want to get in, like, there's people who have some pretty crazy theories about that, that I just think, you know what? I, I don't even want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, 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 um, well, there it, was, there was some interesting, mm-hmm. um, material coming out a study came out about junk dna did you see that recently no i don't think oh i'll have to have to look that up there basically uh some of it it appears that some of the differences between you know chimps and humans uh Mm -hmm. have mainly to do have largely to do with uh a number of genes that are turned off by things that uh turned off as far as they no longer express proteins in, mm-hmm. in uh, by things that are in these chunks of DNA that are considered junk, which is a lot of it, you know, but, mm. which a lot of, well, was considered junk or structural or not necessarily useful, but a lot of it, uh, chunks of it, they're discovering what more and more of that stuff does. And it, it turns off, um, one of the, uh, not, not hopefully won't offend you, but one of the ones I was just laughing out loud at was apparently... Um, Due to some piece of uh, one of these uh, suppressed uh, genes, humans no longer have uh, spines on their penises. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to offend uh, other, Otherwise, uh, otherwise, I guess chimps do at least vestigial ones, kind of like cats, at least small ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was really strange and funny. But yeah, we are not. Um, we, you know, like you say, that we work at all, that, that the earth works at all. Humans work, but we are not optimized. No, we're and not. We're, and we're still evolving as well. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's very strange. Another going back to QI, I learned that the, the fastest thing, they were talking about human anatomy. And the only real thing that's evolved over the last 10,000 years of people are are our noses. Oh, really? <laughs> and yeah, well, and just the whole, the way that the olfactory senses and everything work is just that whole, maybe it's because we're not hunter-gatherers anymore and we don't need to smell our prey it's the same way. And I'm thinking, well, because we all put off pheromones and all that other stuff. And I'm thinking, well, when people were randy, was it that picked up more? Like, <laughs> it made me think of all these things um, that, that, and possibilities of how they've changed and why those were. And it was also brought up that the most, um, when there's when there's a sudden um, growth in an evolution, it's because of a um, mutation in DNA or someone's genes. And that mutation is why um, animals have long necks or whatever, right? It was one animal that was born with the long neck mutation. Right, it wasn't and, because they were all trying it, to reach for high leaves or something like that that's the well, that's well, the, then that's, the it, was, it was because view. like yeah and it's just the same way it's like why um but with with other animals like dogs as an example you can use those mutations to breed a new breed of dog within a couple generations yeah and i find it fascinating why don't we have that ability among humans why are we the only species on this planet the only animals that that don't mutate and don't evolve to the same extent as other animals do. It's bizarre. It's really as bizarre, especially when we used to be more one with our environment. And 
unlike every other animal or plants or insect that inhabits this this planet, we're the only one that doesn't hasn't always peacefully coexisted with the ecosystem. Right. Well, we've we've uh, even we we've influenced it and we've we've changed our environment. But there are uh, there's a a book out now. I forget the name or the author or really much of anything about it. I one of the <laughs> points was that uh, we seem to have well it's claimed at least that we seem to have evolved in part uh to eat and because we ate uh, cooked food rather than an all raw mm-hmm. diet mm-hmm. and so there's a, that's a whole topic of interest to me which is many people will claim that um you know we're evolved to be vegetarians or we're evolved to be this or we're evolved to be that therefore we shouldn't be eating meat or we shouldn't be eating this we should be eating all raw diet or we should be eating a, you know whatever but uh there's it seems to be the case that uh we've been cooking food long enough that uh we have some of our features that were designed to eat raw food like to to break seeds and things like that mm-hmm. Uh, have become vestigial you know or or sh- our teeth and jaws have shrunk things like that because and that's you know because we've changed our circumstances yes my that's that's something that my my sister um has her degree in anthropology and whenever people talk about people are supposed to be vegetarians, it causes her to go off on the biggest rant <laughs> because of her educational background. And it's one of those things where you just have to stay clear of her when she does that um, because there's even like they've now found um, proof, archaeological proof, that we started eating meat a lot before the what was originally thought was when we started to cook meat and eat it. Um, and same with vegetables. They think that we used to eat eat raw vegetables, and they found um, a fossilized cooked vegetable in a molar of a very like an older than what was thought to be the. Um, this is when we started cooking our food or our norm. Older right? people would have been able so, to eat cooked food better, even if they had damaged teeth and whatnot, and they could probably survive mm-hmm. longer because of cooking. Yes, and there was this one study that came out not too long, and it's very, very speculative what it means, right? But apparently our brains have been shrinking over the past couple of generations. And after it went through this big, huge growth, now apparently our brains are getting smaller, and they don't know if it's because of environment or because our brains are rewiring to be more efficient where they don't need to use as much space. When I was gave the article to my sister, the first thing she said was, those damn vegans. We, our brains grew when we started to eat meat. We're no longer eating meat, and now our brains are shrinking and making us well, dumber. There's something to that. You know, physically, the brain itself is mostly composed of fats. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> well, there is something to it, but the whole rant right, that she went off right. on, it just like, it was um, it was one of those things where I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, personally, I'm going to wait and see what the the people who have their PhDs and have been studying this for a lot longer than you have have to say like right now it's all preliminary and speculative yeah. about what this yeah, means but it does all that we know is that our brains are shrinking but it does it comes back to this question well it's like the hitchhiker's guide you know we're still on this stage of what shall we eat we haven't gotten to where shall we mm-hmm. have lunch yet <laughs> yes <laughs> most people are still wondering uh 
you know, are still confused. What What is the optimal diet for human beings? And I'm still confused because it. the more I get into it now, recently, it seems like maybe the agricultural revolution, you know, was allowed a lot more people to eat and allowed settlements and whatnot, but maybe it's made us unhealthy, you know, to, to not be eating more of a paleolithic type diet, to not be eating, especially to... You know, I, I experimented with vegetarianism. I was a, a strict vegetarian mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and I was a fruitarian for one summer. Um, but um, I, my, you know, my mother was really into studying cooking and studying food, and she took mm-hmm. all kinds of classes on how best to cook. But the wisdom at the time, in the early seventies, was uh, was low fat. You know, it was all the lipid hypothesis, cut back fat, and then it was polyunsaturated fat. So no butter, no animal fats. You have to mm-hmm. use these these margarines that are basically hydrogenated vegetable oils, which we now know are do more damage than just eating things mm-hmm. like butter or monosaturated fats like yep. olive oil. But it's still very the the debate about fat is still very confusing. I don't know what I'm doing to myself exactly. It, it is, and I have to like I have to see a nutritionist often because of my lupus. Mm-hmm. So it's one of these things where like I eat a ridiculous amount of food. I have to eat a minimum of three thousand calories a day just to maintain my wow. weight. It's mind boggling. You are not, yeah. having seen pictures. And you you are not nearly as large as that might suggest. No, I I I'm just to give people an idea. I'm five foot three, and when I'm top healthy form, I'm 105 pounds. And I've been 105 pounds and five foot three since I was 13 years old. That's when I stopped and growing. Three th- on 3,000 like, calories. That's astounding. Yes. Wow. But what my nutritionist thinks is like I always have a rag- ravenous, rav- I can't say the word. Rav- ravenous? Rav- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> ravenous appetite. Um, but for some reason, and I don't know if it's because of just natural cravings or whatever, or listening to my body, I my um, when I sat down with the nutritionist for the first time, she was very, very surprised about how naturally, without any formal education, I balance carbs and protein and all that other stuff. Like sure. you can have, like I eat pasta like there's no tomorrow, but I also make sure to balance it with a protein when I have a carb and balancing a pr- carb with a protein is going to help you burn it in a different way than if you were just overloading our mm-hmm. carbs. But I don't overdo the proteins either. Um, like most people eat more protein and meat than they need to in a day. You only need two servings sure. according to the Canadian Health Food Guide anyways. Right. And what qualifies as two servings is four tablespoons of peanut butter or two eggs or a couple ounces of steak. Yeah, That's all you need in, in a day. And most people have like a 12 inch steak <laughs> and no and then they have a starchy potato and they don't have they don't get good good fiber like, and good and good vegetables and, yes yeah. yeah so i'm one of these like i can eat whatever i want and i like even when i was pregnant i never gained weight at all <laughs> like i was i gained 22 pounds with both my pregnancy and it was all baby like as soon as they i gave birth to my boys i lost 18 pounds just through the birthing wow. process and then I was back down to my my wife would be five days my after. wife would be pretty jealous <laughs> of uh, your success at uh... everyone is I walked out of the hospital in my pre-pregnant clothes and everyone hated me. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> but it was just 
I don't know what it is. I guess I found for me a natural, and I also have a really crazy metabolism that probably yeah, has a lot to do right. with it as well. But maybe but, you're maybe you're not absorbing he, all those calories as well. So I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I'm a. It's it, it's a really odd thing because like your first child, you're supposed to. That's it. It slows down your metabolism. I've had two kids, and no, no change in my metabolism. And then I had to have a hysterectomy. And that's supposed to too. So slow down your metabolism. Nope. It's still, I'm still cannot gain weight if my life, like if I'm ill, I lose weight very, very quickly. So, so by and all rights, you lose. ought to be wearing, you know, enormous stretch pants. <laughs> <laughs> I can lose like five pounds in my sleep and it will take me two months to gain wow. it back. It's an uphill battle just to gain back one pound that I may lose when I'm, when my health starts to fail me. Over the course of the last summer and fall and part of the winter, I sort of accidentally lost about 15 pounds, uh, which I could afford to lose. I mean, I'm not hugely overweight, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I could afford to lose that and I could afford to lose twice that actually. But um, uh, that was largely, I think, because I had left behind... Um, the town, uh, Ann Arbor, where I was used to stopping uh, pretty much three mornings a week at a local cafe and having a scone and a soy mocha. Yes. It, See, I think that's a lot to do with um, people's things. Like, I rarely, rarely eat out. I cook everything. Mm -hmm. And I rarely use, like, I, and it's everything from scratch, right? Like I don't use um, powdered potatoes, yeah, and yeah. I like uh, things that people use for shortcuts, which, which, um, and so I think that has to do with it. Like the only thing that I ever eat that's canned is um, tomato sauce when I'm making um, a spaghetti sauce because I am too lazy to right, boil the potatoes right. or tomatoes and everything, right? But that's that's the only thing that comes out of a can. The rest of the vegetables, and I put like at least four cups of vegetables in my spaghetti sauce and only half a pound of meat. And um, so one, when I had to do the nutritionist thing, like she was looking at my spaghetti sauce and half a cup of my spaghetti sauce is two portions of your fruits and vegetables that you mm -hmm. eat during a day. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I don't cut corners when it comes to to um, prepping food. So when it comes to things like I want to have 12 dozen donuts today, well, that's an over-exaggeration, one dozen donuts. <laughs> I can easily sit down and scoff down in a couple minutes. I don't feel like it doesn't worry me because 99% of the time I'm not putting junk into yeah. my body. And um, I had an ex who was overweight not severely overweight, but he was overweight. And I fed him like there was no tomorrow and he ended up losing like six. He lost he lost weight on your on your diet. He lost weight on my high um calorie That's diet. That's interesting because I, when I got here, well I lived from uh by myself most of last summer. Uh and I was mm -hmm. I was sort of experimenting with the alterations to my diet and I started eating uh sour cream and bacon and sausage and and basically more <laughs> fat than i pretty much had ever eaten in my life because my yeah. growing up i was always on a very uh, quite a low fat diet and then for many years mm -hmm. uh, living in my 30s I, I would people would come over and they'd peer in my fridge and i'd have uh stalks of broccoli standing in like uh, cups of water 
I'd have protein bars, I'd have pasta, and I'd have, you know, and they would say, you don't have anything to eat. And like, that's what I had for dinner. I had a pound of steamed broccoli and a protein <laughs> bar, you know, and then I went to work out or whatnot. But I, but I, um, but I was eating a lot of, uh, eating a lot of carbs. And I was, and mm-hmm. even though I was working out and whatnot, and my total calorie intake did not seem terribly high, I was still, I was still overweight. Well, I'm still overweight. Technically. I, what do I weigh now? One eighty or so, one eighty something two or something like that. And I really should be more like one sixty, ideally, mm. um, for my height, something around that. I mean, you know, giving myself, I'll maybe allowing myself a few extra pounds for having gotten to my mid forties, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, but, uh, I, I found that just, uh, going on a, f- adding qu- quite a bit of fat to my diet, I was eating a lot fewer calories and I was becoming satiated much faster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food is supposed to have fat in it and it's supposed to satiate you. Yes. And, you know, I could eat an awful lot of brown rice without, um, feeling really, Mm -hmm. so and but oh it didn't help that uh there are several tim hortons nearby and in ann arbor there wasn't a tim hortons there was but uh we never went there (laughs) and so i i started eating donuts pretty much for the first time in my life too so once a week i'd eat half a dozen uh, tim hortons donuts so but anyway things change and those are nothing but empty calories that's that's the worst they are thing empty calories that- they're not as bad as i i looked them up as far as like um hydrogenated fat and what trans fat they're not as bad as you might think mm-hmm. no they, they're not but it's, it's still the it's yeah still it's, the, it's, you're going to eat five of them and you're going to be getting like half right. of, over half of your caloric and like necessary caloric intake for the day just after sure. eating half of them and you're going to be nowhere near full even though you've just had like 1500 right it's, it's, they're, they're like a huge that. amount of sugar yeah especially sugar yeah. And, and uh sort of low quality carbs because it's all white flour and and, and sugars yeah. uh anyway so yeah but pe- people don't and know I don't, but I, I i do hmm? think i've discovered that um that probably one of the reasons i have struggled with depression is because i spent so many years on this uh unhealthy diet which i thought was the healthiest diet possible you know yes we need that's another thing too like people i cook with olive oil i don't use um vegetable oil or corn oil i prefer olive right. oil i like the taste like and when it comes to sa- like garden salads i don't use salad dressing i smother it with olive oil and and um sunflower yeah, seeds. yeah that's my salad that's my salad dressing and i have really like i put cheese in my salads right. and like fatty cheeses too right i don't buy low-fat milk um it's either two percent or homogenized milk in the house anything less than that i might as well be drinking right. water like, no i grew up point. on skim milk so, and that was you know never yeah. really liked milk <laughs> <laughs> i can't drink milk anymore like but once in a while i will i buy it for the boys more than i do myself but um because they would rather have the milk than the cheese or the yogurt and i i can do cheese and yogurt i just can't do milk and i can't without getting i can't really either i have a sort of a mild allergy to milk i get very congested and and very um like it doesn't affect um, my digestion but it uh, it, it's for me it's my digestion it's feel like i'm being 
killed on the yeah, I don't have I don't have that problem but I get really sick as far as uh, I get a like a cold or you know mm-hmm. um, and th- I found th- that that is um, I've always been that way and it explained why I had constant bronchitis and mm-hmm. you know and um, had to have my tonsils out and had you know hey got allergy shots for years and and they didn't help. You know, just had constant terrible allergies as a child. And because my parents mm-hmm. were feeding me tons of food I was allergic to, uh, you know, milk constantly. Mm-hmm. And going off yeah. going off cow's milk, I still have, you know, occasional ice cream and occasion, and some cheese and things like that. And I can eat, yo- I can eat mm-hmm. some reasonable amounts of yogurt, but uh, I don't drink liquid milk. And I don't think, uh, actually, it's not really healthy for most adults, I don't think. No, it's not because it, it requires a cow four stomachs to digest. <laughs> and we only have one stomach, right? Like if people want to do an animal milk that's not human milk, they say the best thing um, equivalent for us is goat's, goat's milk. milk. Goat's milk is salty as anything and it's the most disgusting thing ever. We have tried it. But We've tried it. Uh, I don't I don't oh. really like the flavor. It's a little funny tasting. Uh, it's not awful, yeah. but... But we drink uh, soy milk what? and coconut milk and almond milk sometimes now, but we don't get that much anymore. Like, uh, uh, but it's one of our part of the the confusion of, with our diet has been in upheaval. Um, one of uh, the kids uh, has been diagnosed with mild autism, and they suggested mm-hmm. trying to go off gluten altogether as well as milk and, and about a dozen other things we're like well you know we just can't yes. do this dozen other things but why don't why don't we try the gluten and the milk for him and so uh because we got sick of arguing with him when we're trying to eat when we're eating wheat and he's not like because that mm-hmm. produces a lot of anger <laughs> and frustration yes. well, why would. can you eat that and i can't eat it. it's not fair yes. i don't want to eat this gluten-free pizza uh, we largely went off wheat, and uh, that was weird too. That was a, but I think that actually helped our diet too. I don't think it's helped his his um his autism. No, see that's the thing when it comes to autism and diet. I think that's one of the biggest fallacies that people try to push. Um, when when my oldest was diagnosed with severe ADHD, everyone's like, you got to put him on a gluten free diet. Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, we already did the gluten-free diet thing when he was little and not because um, for any um, um, behavioral or developmental things, but there was two reasons. I have severe, severe allergies and I don't think that I have a gluten allergy or intolerance, but I just find that I feel better when I eat less gluten. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with... um, like, I, I find that I always feel very, very sick after I eat red meat, like extremely ill. Um, and we don't know if I have a meat fat, fat allergy or if it's because they are, um, they are gluten-fed animals. Or maybe just but, because um, I had, maybe just because um, meat these days, uh, I just maybe. don't trust the way it's raised, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's raised a little bit differently here in Canada than it is down there, but it's still, they're still, they still do the hormones and, and the stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, that we really quite aren't sure. Like some people blame that on girls <coughs> entering, starting their menstrual cycles at 12 now being the average of 16, two generations ago. Um, but, um, 
I has years and years ago, I was with someone for a couple of years who was severe celiac. Like he can't even have a speck of anything with gluten in it without it putting him in the hospital. Oh, that's awful. So just out of, because um, I like to cook right, <laughs> for right. people. And, and so because whenever he was home, he used to work out of town a lot because of his job. So when he was home, I would like to cook for him. And so um, just out of convenience and learning how to cook for him without killing him, I switched to a gluten-free diet for almost two years. Wow. And I felt fabulous on it. It was way more expensive. But um, I have not... N- I have not noticed, like I use flour tortillas now uh, uh, sometimes, Mm -hmm. but just reducing gluten, I've not noticed any real improvement for me. But I know that the uh, cow's milk is a huge, is a big difference uh, in my diet. And I I do eat, um, I eat meat again and beef and um, we get, but finding good quality meats in Saginaw, which is a basically a food desert except for a local farmer's market, mm-hmm. has been a, a huge shock to our system. Uh, you know, in Ann Arbor, there are Whole Foods stores and there are local stores that get uh, stuff sourced from nearby farms, uh, stuff that's grass-fed, mm-hmm. stuff that's organic, stuff, you know. And we got really used to mm-hmm. being able to get chickens that tasted like chickens and you know roasts and whatnot yes. we would get uh for uh, we sometimes do a seder a seder meal even though mm-hmm. uh, my wife is technically catholic uh, her father was jewish um and we've held a seder where we go out to a local farm meet a lamb <laughs> and then go back mm-hmm. and uh and pick up uh, a big um a leg of lamb to serve and it being yes. and so yeah, you meet your food. It's grass fed. You know the lamb had a a brief but happy life. <laughs> and, and but the quality of that uh, meat, you know, it's just phenomenal. And we had we took it to, uh, I think we had a, a couple of priests eat one of our seder meals, and they were actually arguing and fighting over who was getting to keep the leftover lamb. So they recognized, you know, <laughs> but that it was a lot better quality meat than they were used to getting. But up here, you know, we've when we've tried some of the uh, meats from the local stores. For, first of all, there there are no decent groceries themselves within the city limits. None. There are some places mm. that ser- that sell, you know, really heavily discounted canned stuff and some produce that you that is very sketchy. Um, mm-hmm. but then everything else is in the township. You have to drive five or six miles. Uh, so we, anyway, so we're getting our meat and st- we've given ourselves food poisoning several times from what ought to be reputable, like a pork roast kind of thing. You know, that's not just really? not, yeah, it's just, uh, so we're really, they, they get small amounts of like um, they get some lamb steaks from Australia and Grace was pretty much living on mm-hmm. those while she in the early stages of the pregnancy because she was craving um, meat, you know, craving lamb. Um, really? I couldn't eat meat at all during both my pregnancies. I couldn't even be in the house with um, it smelling oh, really? without vomiting. And that was the only thing that made me sick during my pregnancies was meat. And so the whole family had to go vegetarian that's, when I was pregnant with both my kids. And that's that's another thing that makes my doctor, but there's no, like, I have so many allergies. It's like, there's no point testing you for another one that makes him think that I might be allergic to animal fat because it was the smell of the fat cooking that would just 
render me violent. Well, lamb fat has a, especially when it sits a little bit, it has a, a, a smell that I don't like, but I like the, I like to eat it. <laughs> but it does, it's, it's like it's full of, um, it's much more volatile, I think, than beef fat. Like it mm-hmm. goes off much faster. It goes rancid much faster, maybe in like only a few hours after it's after it's mm-hmm. rendered down but so i since i would generally be doing the cleanup you know of the broiler pan or whatnot i never liked the smell of that but uh but yeah. she but so we would find some stuff that she liked there and we can get uh ground bison which is grass-fed uh bison which is bison. really nice you can make a bison chili uh that's that's very tasty mm-hmm. But um, just like we can't get Amish chickens, we can't get organic organic chickens, we can't get um, you know, pretty much any of the things. That, we can get uh, organic eggs, but they're really expensive. So I don't know. It's just been it's been a difficult transition just to just to feed ourselves. We're winding up eating an awful lot of. Uh, Oh, and, and our fridge doesn't work right, so we're replacing our fridge. But this is uh, no, <laughs> it's it's holding together. It doesn't have to hold together much longer. I think after I get our tax refund, we'll finally be able to replace the fridge. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a weird, it's been a weird transition. Yeah, adjustments. Yeah. So uh, we were talking briefly also about uh, uh, books. I mentioned um, Peter Watts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually a Canadian science fiction writer. Uh, he's also become slightly famous for a run-in uh, with American uh, at, a, at a border crossing. <gasps> oh, that guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking okay. about now. Yes. Where I, I th- <laughs> he actually was convicted of... Um, Failing to fa- failing well, to uh, immediately obey the orders of a of a customs yes. official, um, but yes, you know it's sort of a, a they he said she he said the other guy said kind of situation yes. and they have not released the video the surveillance camera video, and I I you know have my own suspicion of of how it went down, which doesn't really match the 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 uh, customs <laughs> description yes. um but anyway he's had an interesting time because i guess he's now he now can't enter the states um but he also yeah. uh, i was just i had just read this novel and i said i wonder what he's up to so i hit his website and my jaw was hanging open because he had a, a small like a uh, infection in his leg which turned into an attack of flesh-eating bacteria. Oh, And no. so if you've got a strong stomach, there are now photos on his website of his uh, lower leg actually flayed open uh, and where they have to uh, go in and pack it with this uh, yes. stuff to try and pull out the infection and attach a suction machine uh, it's, anyway, it's pretty, it's pretty vile. But he he came v- uh, very close to a fatal infection that was l- jumping up his leg, as he described it, as rapidly as you might imagine, like a stop motion effect in old Star Trek. You know, <laughs> some kind of an alien virus. <laughs> oh wow! So uh, people have speculated that you know 
not that it's karma exactly, but that, you know, since he writes about such horrifying and, you know, fascinating and gruesome subjects that he somehow is destined to live them out as well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, when that whole customs thing happened and John Scalzi actually wrote a blog about it because if I'm remembering, it was so many months ago that I could remembering the finer details wrong, but I believe he and John Scalzi are like friends. And um, I think it was about the the incident itself was somewhere around two years ago, and the, the was it that well, long ago? It was about two years, and then like the the, uh, the well, whatever that trial happened, and he was found guilty. John Scalzi wrote about that because um, the author had written his own blog about his side of the stories and why he is found to be a criminal and no longer allowed in the states when he doesn't think that he's a criminal and what he did was whatever and. And but um, well, he he expects civilized treatment. What a what a moron! Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hasn't he hasn't he realized the world has changed? You know, things are different now. Uh, no, it's oh, it's crazy. It's insane. I have a record with customs now because of an orange. An orange. Wow. A freaking orange! I was going into the states for it was before packs. It was of '09. I went in August down to Seattle, and I went again in. Um, there was no it was June and then end of August beginning of September of 09 and um, I had packed a lunch with me to eat on the ferry I was taking the bus because it's a lot cheaper it's $89 round trip compared to a couple hundred dollars flying round trip even though it's like a million hours longer Um, but saving $120 saving $120 (laughs) Um, and I Forgot to eat the orange, and I forgot it was in my briefcase. And I get to customs, and they're like, do you have anything to declare? And I filled out my declaration form, and I'm like, nope, nope, I have nothing to declare. And put your put your bags on the scanner. So I put my bags on the scanner, and um, they go through the scanner. And I grab my bags, and I go, thank you. And the, the border guy says, oh, hold on a second there, miss. I have to um, inspect your bag. And I'm like, What? And he's rummaging through my briefcase. And I'm like, well, I have scissors in there because I was cross-stitching on the bus. And I have my shoes and I have cords for my camera and for my recorder. What on earth could be? And I'm listing all these things out loud. Like, what on earth are they all of a sudden ripping apart my luggage for? And he goes, aha, <laughs> you're an it. I found uh-huh. it. And I'm like, what have you found? And he pulls it, it out It sounds horn. like... And he's, he's holds the orange in his hand and it says, it says here on your declaration form that you have no fruits, vegetables, or meats to declare when you in fact have an orange in uh, your bag. And like, I completely forgot. It <laughs> was an honest mistake. And he goes, people make honest mistakes, like quoting them, but not actually using the air quotes, but it was implied. People make honest mistakes all the time and forget all the time. But we take these things very seriously. Failure to to um, submit a proper proper declaration form is an automatic five hundred dollar fine and denial into the into the United States or denied entry into the wow. states. And I'm sitting there, but I'm a model Canadian citizen. <laughs> it's just an orange. And and five hundred dollars fine kind of a, to be paid immediately, or I go is to it jail. Some kind of a, a horrifying like threat was, to the Seattle orange industry. This. I don't know, but I was pooping my pants. I was like, 
it's an orange. He goes, I'm going to let you go this, but I'm going to put it on, on your record. So if you ever fail to um, declare, to make a proper, fill out a proper declaration form, be known that you will be fined automatically $1,000 and you could spend some time in jail. Have a nice day and enjoy your visit into the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> Next time. And I'm like, you'll be too nervous to even consider. God, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's often these days embarrassing to be an American, you know, I, and I'm just thinking, I didn't do anything. It was an orange. I have a criminal record in the United States, world customs record in UAs, because I forgot to eat my eat my orange during my lunch. Wow. I'm, I, I've never been in trouble in my life. I apologize on behalf of uh, of the United States, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, kids, guns are dangerous. Okay, or not guns, oranges are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like I, oh, of all the things that I could be smuggling into the states, a piece of produce that probably came from Florida to begin with. Right, exactly. Well, they they didn't uh, they didn't beat you and leave you shivering half naked. No, but in they confiscated my orange. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That they didn't do, but they took my orange. Yeah. <laughs> they put the fear of, it was terrible. Like, now I'm afraid to go back into the States. I, I'm sure. I'm absolutely terrified. They get. I've been once since. The, the guy was hmm? probably just just hungry. Jeez. <laughs> probably. I don't know. And he put it on his desk and hat. And then the next time we were, like, before you're taking the Greyhound and when they're pulling up to customs, like, the Greyhound driver has to say, make sure that you fill out your proper declaration form. And make sure that you've declared any um, apples, oranges, peaches, blah, 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 blah. And it always starts with apple. And I swear coming back because you have to pre-book your ticket and you have to give them your name and all that other stuff now when when booking a ticket into the States. And on the way to through the border the second time, two weeks after or a couple months after or whatever the incident the, the guy says, and remember to declare any oranges, apples. <laughs> like, he the oranges and started with it. And I got so paranoid. Like, do they know I'm coming? Are they making sure? <laughs> and I'm thinking, Jules, you're being silly, but why would he say oranges first and emphasize it? So I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want this to be a problem. <laughs> Well, despite all this, Peter Watts is a is a, a writer that I very much admire. Uh, I've only read two of his novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was um, uh, was Blindsight, mm-hmm. which is uh, in, it sounds stupid to say it, but it's a novel about vampires in space. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. <laughs> that's not that, that's not stupid. That doesn't. Well, it that that doesn't uh dis, that doesn't mm-hmm. really describe it at all. But it's basically the premise is that um, we may have a, sort of a, a a gene. We were talking earlier about genes that were sh- yes. shut off. Uh, when that there may be a, a genetic mutation still in our junk DNA and still accessible that uh, would explain the vampire myth. Okay. And what if we could exploit this? So I won't go into mm-hmm. a lot of detail, but it's a it's a dark science fiction novel about uh, first contact. 
and one of the crew members is a, is a, um, a vampire and the other crew members basically have to grit their teeth and deal with it because he's uh, so good at what he does. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. So, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool book blind sight by Peter Watts. Um, there, and then the, uh, the other one I mentioned uh, takes place in the uh, trench uh, at the Juan de Fuca fault, yep, um, um, mm-hmm. I guess. The Strait of Juan de Fuca, under, yes. Un, un, under the ocean. And uh, it's, uh, this is called Starfish, and it's about a group of people who have been modified physically uh, to be able to basically go out into uh, in the ocean floor and work in the environment around a um, a black smoker kind of the, these vents these undersea mm. vents which they're using to generate power but they can go out wearing only a sort of a light suit and their bodies have been modified to withstand pressure interesting so the people they choose for this job are indeed interesting. <laughs> Is it the, the 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 subject matter the, the the low people, the people that may give people heebie-jeebies type people that they choose for those? Well, yeah, the, they've. I think the idea is that um, only p- the people who have already experienced pretty severe trauma are sort of comfortable in such a. a a distro- an environment that most healthy mm-hmm. people would find extremely distressing. Uh, for example, the um, the sort of home base they live in is basically this tiny pressurized, you know, tin can, mm-hmm. right, and with very little space. And of course, being subject to such tremendous pressure, it's always creaking and groaning as you know the the metal plates shift and whatnot. And of course, the sub the seafloor is unstable, mm-hmm. so the thing is shaking now and then. And you know, a, a healthy person would probably find this environment troubling, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. You know, knowing that that the slightest flaw or engineering you know fault in this in this pressurized vessel would result in the ocean smashing in, basically mm-hmm. at the speed of sound and crushing you before you even knew what you know could could even see it happening um so yeah they have some anyway so it's it's also an interesting book and i i want to read the second the third and fourth seem to be out of print and used copies are going for ridiculous money uh and it, it sounds like he may this story may have gone off the rails a little bit in volumes three and four but i'd like to at least mm-hmm. read the second one and see and you also actually all of them are you can get the whole text on his oh, really? website. So um so probably for volumes 3 and 4 rather than pay like $200 for an out of print hardcover mm-hmm. or something like that I'll just I'll just read those online or else print. Them. I don't really like reading books in ebook Neither form do I. on a computer. Even not on a computer. I I like to curl up with a book and smell. I like the smell and the touch and the feel of actual paper. Yeah, definitely. It's a very tactile yeah. thing for me. Because so I'm very picky when it comes to fiction. Um, a book has five, six pages to catch me. And if it doesn't, I don't bother reading it. 
And well, I'm I'm guessing that Starfish would definitely suck you in because it sucked me in. And there are very few books that I'll actually stay up like half the night mm-hmm. to read anymore because I des because I just desperately generally desperately need mm-hmm. sleep, right? <laughs> but uh, the last one that that like kept me up around the clock was Ender's Game, and that was quite a few years See, ago. I haven't read that um, from Orson Scott Card, but one of his books that did keep me up like that that I could not put down was Enchantment. It's a brilliant book actually when i um had len peralta on my show the other week we discussed it for a bit it's one of these books that i think any, everybody should read it's beyond hmm, wonderful okay i i've read quite a few of his books but never is this part of the uh the alvin maker stuff no it's not? its own it's, thing on its own and it, it okay. it's, it's um it's based upon the russian version of sleeping beauty and there's a lot of um, the thing that I liked about it was that the family, the main char- without giving too much away, the the main character's family they're recently American from Russia, but they were Russian Jews, so they had to leave Russia. And he didn't know growing up that he was Jewish, because they had to change their reli- they had to pretend not to be Jews to get out of Russia first, and then come to the states right and, and so it's based on actual historical things that happen with the russian sleeping and um because that's part of my heritage it was one of those things where he was either going to get it right or he was going to get it wrong and he got it so right like he perfectly weaved the right balance of actual factual um culture and history with fantasy and um Later on in life, the main character he finds out that he um, that he comes from these backgrounds that have magic in it, and it's just a very wonderful fantasy love story, fairy tale thing without it being um, um, a stupid fairy tale. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's told unsentimentally. Yes. And because you know. it's told unsentimentally, it's the most... Like, there was this one l- love scene that happens in the book. And I'm not a romantic person. And it caused me to cry for the longest time ever. Like, it just hmm. made me weep. But it, but it wasn't like tear, like a manipulative, no. tear-jerking kind of scene. It was it was on, more honestly yes, or more subtly. Exactly. Like, it was... It, it was a, Interesting. Yeah, it was just one of these things where it was the the most beautiful and real and raw and loving thing that I had ever read, witnessed, whatever. It was just it's a beautifully cool. painted story. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. So, what else do you like to read? Uh, you got some re- uh, recent authors you're really into? Um, nothing really fiction wise. Like that's the I mostly read nonfiction. <laughs> because it's one like I've, I've someone gave me um, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, thinking that I would like it because it deals with yeah. it deals with um, Assyrian mythology. I've, I've read which that. I'm really really into Assyrian yeah, yeah. mythology, and I love ancient religions. I find them very fascinating. But I n- never got past page fifty eight. And mm. um, Neil Gaiman is is a uh, is sort of big now among like the yes. Colton Pollen Storm kind of geek. Yes community and I, I i like neil gaiman but i'm not a a huge fan i've read um oh is his novel about the the subway the the underground the London oh, underground i forget the, um, the title um, 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 the name's 
going to me too. It's um uh, shoot. I can't think of what it is either. That's okay. I'm sure I can I'll put it in the show notes or something. But I I read um I read American Gods. There's a follow-up to American God called The Anansi Boys. Uh, which I thought both those novels were okay, were, were good. It's short stories I enjoy. Um, and I, I really liked uh, Coraline, the film. I the film because it's animated. I can't do animation <laughs> at all. <laughs> it makes my brain twitchy. It, it makes it really, really twitchy. And um, huh. I think you'd probably understand this. Um, you know how certain, you, you know that twitchy feeling that you get when you're in crowds and there's too much stimulation, you're getting too much sensory information and your brain feels like it's actually sure. having a seizure yeah. and you get panicky and all that other, um, one of those triggers for me is, yeah. is um, animated movies. The new single cell animation, I my brain can handle, but um, the new animation that's out there, digital animation and, and stuff like that, I cannot, it, it makes me want to like explode out of my skin. Bizarre, interesting. I, I'm that way, you know. I'm, I'm sort of. I think people have sort of dominant mm-hmm. senses. Um, my dominant sense is actually hearing, and so like, this makes makes it extra challenging sometimes being a parent. But uh, I'm very sensitive to sound yes. distractions and things like that, and the way that things are produced, the instruments, the way things are mixed and mastered. You know, even mm-hmm. the electronics. And, and so I can understand that to an extent because uh, when I hear uh, a piece, you know, music that's recorded and there's clipping on mm-hmm. some instrument, like it's it's overloading, it's so distracting to well, me. I, I can't actually, pay attention I'm, to I'm else. I'm th- I'm sensitive to sounds too, and and I think I was talking with somebody about this once about mixing, and I actually had commented. I said, I wonder if the way. Um, Paul mixes his music has to do with a sound sensitivity that he has. That was my exact comment that I made. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I said, That's I wonder funny. if it has to do with his I, autistic never... Asperger's stuff. Because I said, for me personally, too, because I have certain noises and st- like there's certain female, especially in the female tonal range, I can't handle it, it without it feeling like. Like I want to take an ice pick or something in my ear to make that pain. It's it's the horrible thing. <laughs> and so when I was listening to the way you had mixed something once, it like suddenly clicked to me. I'm like, I wonder if this is the way that Paul compensates for any of his auditory brain twitchy triggers. Huh. I don't know. I just I I am very picky. Like I have, I can't find a guitar amp that mm-hmm. I can tolerate. Um, they resonate at certain frequencies. I love tube amps. I have this little tube amp that I'm trying to get fixed or, or replaced or just find some different model because there are some notes where mm-hmm. it buzzes, it resonates. And I, most people I, I like, I always try to drag my wife over and say, I'm playing this note. So here, listen to this. And she's like, I don't hear anything. She's like, no, this is awful. This is the worst thing ever. I can't find a guitar amp that doesn't, that doesn't resonate strangely at weird frequencies, you know. But I, I couldn't say for sure. I, I have no formal training in in this kind of music production thing, and only uh, taught myself mixing a little bit, starting with the um, the mm-hmm. Mandelbrot set uh, group on Jonathan Colton's forums. And the first, I, that's not quite true. I had done like. Um, 
I did some stuff that didn't really work out in my family in, in my living room in the old apartment. I did a, a cover of of uh, Bad Bad <laughs> Leroy wow. Brown with uh, with a friend of mine singing vocals, uh, a female friend of mine singing vocals, and too many tracks and my dad playing ukulele and whatnot. And it's it's comically <laughs> bad. Uh, it's, it's never quite worked out, you know. But um, as far as everything else has really been a matter mm-hmm. of trial and error and mostly through the sort of Mandelbrot set. And the difficulty there is everyone who has sent, uh, has chipped in a track mm-hmm. has uh, um, their own unique uh, recording setup. And most of them are really mm-hmm. less than stellar. Like they're just a laptop mic or something. And so when you start to put all these together, well, all of them are somewhat fuzzy and distorted uh, and when you start to put them all together, a lot of you mm-hmm. get a lot of background noise building up, and it's uh, it's frustrating um, to net to especially on vocals where every vocal yes. sounds a lot like the room and the and the computer noise that the person's recording yes. with. So, and I get a little of that here, um, just in this room, but uh, I've got my room reasonably well set up now I, I still need to get some more uh some more acoustic panels and stuff like that but uh but it it works well enough mm-hmm. i guess so we'll see but uh, yeah I, I i made not too long ago in one of my podcasts i um broke down a track in yes. that i had it, it was the um was it was it was it the Mr. Was it the Mr. Song. Song one that you broke down? <laughs> yeah, it's called Sherman's yes. Lament, and I basically and uh, so yeah, Joe sent me some vocals for that, and Denise sent me some vocals and some piano, and I basically um, went through, I, for this little sort of mm-hmm. audio documentary. I played where the tracks fit and how they sounded yep. uncompressed and un-EQ'd and then compressed and EQ'd and then how they fit together. And then suddenly it gets really l- a lot louder because the mastering plugin mm-hmm. kicks in. So basically, t- and uh, I got um, um, Meredith uh, Matthews, AKA Brain Douche, uh, was, said she really enjoyed that, that it was a neat little thing. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by how that that process works, uh, and I'm just I feel like as far as EQing tracks, I'm just barely learning that. But for for Polly, what I did mostly was um, all the uh, tracks, all the vocal tracks are pitch mm-hmm. corrected uh, in different ways with like different degrees of of mm-hmm. tightness. If you crank the plug in too high, you get the share. Do you believe in love <laughs> you know, effect? <laughs> where it where like the pitch jumps yes. me- rapidly between the exact pitches and it sounds it sounds funny uh people don't like that i actually like it i, I enjoy it but i haven't i haven't used it in one of my songs exactly well, that way but i kind of I, I don't mind the effect i don't mind artificial no, sounding here's vocals. here's something that we were talking if, if about it's is for that a, you're always your auto-tune stuff is some of your best stuff. Um, um another one that was kind of auto tuned that I really liked of yours was the the War Criminal song. Oh, Dick that, Cheney. Yeah. Dick Cheney shot his friend right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> during the chorus, during the chorus, there I put myself through like a phone yeah. filter. <laughs> 
or during the during the bridge so it sounds so it sounds yeah, very tinny and and just yeah. the but then I love that song too but all the all the la- the layered vocals in uh, I'll have to I'll drop it into this track the layered vocals in the Polly loves the rain song they're all f- off like mm-hmm. filtered they're all phased which gives it a yeah. a big sort of wide fat chorus it's effect awesome. uh, and I li- I really like the way that came out that was like some uh, I guess you'd call it beginner's luck <laughs> that it worked out that well. It helped that Joe sang it mm-hmm. so nicely too. But it's one of those yeah. the lyrics itself were were just so awesome. <laughs> I could gush about this song forever, and I have been for for a, basically a year now. Like a year now, <laughs> almost to the day, right? <laughs> like you put it out like a week ago today or something like that. It's, I think it was la- it was last. No, it was February. last March. It was yeah, last March because I did the um, I did the TMA podcast in between March sixth and March thirteenth, and uh, it had just come out before that. So it was end of February last year that Polly came out. Some somewhere around, oh, or maybe okay. it was January. Well, I'm trying, but it, yeah, it was almost like a year, just past a year ago. Now is when Polly loved the rain. Polly loves the rain came out. So that was my first song fu yes. song, and now I have five originals, and I need it. I mean, I just, I've, you know, just kind of discovered that, like most things, you just you have mm-hmm. to practice <laughs> to get better at this. So I'm hoping to do more songs, but as to when I, when exactly I find the time, I've got some scraps recorded in bits and pieces, but um, yeah, that's that's what was helpful about the contest was basically having a, a tight mm-hmm. deadline and, a, and an assignment because that way I could take, you know, like it motivated me to, to do these sleepless nights because most of the stuff for the last round was recorded between yeah. 2 and 4 a.m. on weeknights. And uh, that's that's hard. That's that's going to be especially hard if I'm... Well, maybe over this the summer easier because I won't be having to yeah. drive Isaac to school in the morning. I won't be getting up at 6.30, quite that early at least. So I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to work. It depend, A lot depends on how whether this new baby mm-hmm. is an easy baby or a demon <laughs> baby. <laughs> We've been really fortunate. Um, all the kids, for the most part, have been good sleepers. Not, you know, some mm-hmm. difficulty. Like, but you know, if I can get like at least a four-hour chunk of unbroken sleep, uh, then it's okay if if the baby wakes me mm-hmm. up once or twice. You know, but if it's like, God forbid, if we had a baby that was colicky, that was awake every thirty minutes or something yeah. like that, I would lose. <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. I hope you didn't have to. No, to um, deal with I that. Ha- both of my boys had um, upper GRD. So um, oh, my youngest, it was worse than that. But they were never colicky babies. But like with my youngest, there was a lot of issues with my youngest to begin with. Like he was, oh, he was such a difficult baby. Um, so difficult. And up until he was a year old, every single Wednesday, he would stay up for two days straight like clockwork like you could set your clock by this wow. and then by the time he was a year old it was every two weeks Wednesday would come and you would brace yourself for your child not sleeping um that's a, on a schedule on a like schedule not just yeah some random on a schedule you could set your same with my oldest you could set your alarm clock by the time he would talk in his sleep every single night 
like clockwork. The, yep. Really? And that is yeah, the weirdest thing. But with thing. my youngest, he had the uh, the upper GRD. So nursing him, I could not lie him down after he would nurse. Otherwise, he would vomit everything up. I would have to stick him in his car seat for oh. at least an hour afterwards. <clears throat> um, otherwise, and sometimes I swore he he regurgitated more than he actually took in. And it was this <laughs> constant <laughs> puke fest. Um, uh, you also couldn't uh. cut... Well, we did have we did, Veronica threw yeah. up a lot. She would she and it, she didn't have any real mm-hmm. problems. She was just like I just say she was really greedy at nursing, and she would just drain well, my wife, just drain her until her belly was bulging, and she would just fill herself up so and, full yeah. that then she would turn into a little milk fire hose, <laughs> and it was it was like it'd be your eyes would be bugging out because of this like tide of, of <laughs> pouring out, you know, like and you'd be getting like three bath <coughs> three bath mm-hmm. towels to try and mop up this. And mess. Uh, he had others uh, like you couldn't hold him chest to chest without him screaming and becoming stiff as a board, like you were killing oh. him. And so he wanted to nurse. Which is good, okay, but it was so a constant. You do, you do no, it, it wasn't. It was a fight between the the, the closeness and him pushing away, yeah. and then he would lose latch and start freaking out because he's lost latch, and then he would get him to latch back on, and he's right. pushing away because of the chest to chest contact. So I had to get really creative with the nursing. Um, the only way that he would allow uh-huh. you to hold him for the longest time was back to chest. And um, Sarah McLaughlin would have to be playing. There would have to be Sarah McLaughlin. And I, I think it had to do with I was listening to Sarah McLaughlin when I was in labor and when he was being born and that whole thing. Oh, my God. Um, he, when he was little, <laughs> he was very black and white emotions and still very black and white emotions. But thankfully, thankfully, he's not hurting himself anymore when he's angry. He would walk up to the hardest surface wow. he could find and bang his head off of it as hard as he could when he was upset about it. Oh, it was freaked out the people at daycare. He was started to go to daycare as an yeah. infant for socialization and to give me a break because we had infant development involvement yeah. from the day he was born because um, when I was pregnant, there was swelling in his brain. And they almost had to put a shunt oh. in his brain six months in utero. Like they were going to operate on my baby's we were- brain while he was still inside of me. And... We were really worried about Sam because he had a couple of uh, ultrasounds that looked mm-hmm. abnormal. It looked like he could be hyd- well, hydrocephalic. Well, it wasn't hydrocephalus, um, and that's the thing. When the doctor, when they found, and it was by a sheer freak fluke that they found it because you normally hear you only go in for one ultrasound because ultrasound is not healthy for the baby. They just do it more for dates and to make sure that there's nothing wrong. So I went in for my first, my mm-hmm. only, what would have been my routine ultrasound, and I had placenta previa. So I had to go in for a follow-up mm. to make to see if the, my placenta was moving on its own or if I would have to require bed rest so I wouldn't hemorrhage. So I went into my um, yeah. second ultrasound, and the tech is doing the ultrasound, and all of a sudden she goes really, really quiet. She goes, hold on, I have to call in the radiologist. And I'm like, why are you calling in the, the radiologist? for a routine ultrasound to see if my placenta is moving or if I have to go on bread breast for my last trimester. The ultrasound or the radiologist, Dr. Wolf, he came in, he did the scan. It was dead silence. You could hear a pin drop. And he's like, your doctor should be getting these results within the next 24 hours. You need to make an appointment with him. 
and I'm like, can you tell me what's... Yeah, they're not yeah. supposed to I'm say like, anything. can you tell me? No, nope, you need <laughs> right. to make an appointment with your doctor as soon as possible. So I made an appointment with my doctor as soon as possible, and I'm like, what is wrong with my baby's... What's wrong with my baby? And he's like, what do you mean? I, mean, I had my ultrasound the other day, and they called in Dr. Wolf, and the, the general feeling in the... What is wrong with my baby? He's like, I haven't received your ultrasound. I mean, like, they said he would get it. And so he goes, hold on a second. And they misplaced the ultrasound thing. They didn't put it in my chart. They put it on his desk instead Jeez. of in my chart. So he kind of, whatever. He came back and he's like, um, we need to send you to Vancouver. You need to go to the BC Women's Hospital immediately and see a specialist there. There is um, some abnormalities in his brain. I'm like, what do you mean? There are some yeah. abnormalities in his brain. And, like, we're not quite sure. His left lateral ventricle is dilated to twice the size of normal, and it was just the one. And his right posterior horn is also dilated. So I'm like, what, he has encephalitis? And he goes, nope, this isn't because there's only one of the ventricles. There's not water on it, but it's just dilated. And there's only been six other cases of this in Canadian history, medical history. So we need to send you to the, the BC Women's Hospital. And I said, I have no way of getting to Vancouver. So they set up where a specialist from BC Women's went down to Victoria, and I would have to go from then on every week. I had to go down to Victoria and have ultrasounds every single week, vaginal and um, abdominal. They had to do ultrasounds on his brain from the day he was born. He had to go in for his first CT when he was a month old. Um, they wanted me to deliver down in Victoria, but my doctor doesn't have privileges there. So I said, no, we're going to assemble the team and I'm going to give birth at my hospital because I want my doctor, who's been my doctor since I was six, who delivered my first kid there. I'm not doing it anywhere else. I don't care if whatever. We have the resources of where I live. So I had to convince them of that. But it was eventually um, the swelling started to go down on its own and it completely disappeared. Mm. But it makes me think, because that ultrasound then is was not routine, and because I had other abnormalities, that maybe there is more of these brain um, instances, abnormalities. Like, they did every single blood work known to man. I had over, I was tested for every obscure disease ever to see if it was something that I had passed <laughs> on to him, like things that you normally don't contract in Canada. They send it off to the CDC. Over right. 200 blood tests were sent to the CDC, and they tested me for everything. And it was nothing that I had done. Wow. But I'm thinking that maybe some of the, the autism stuff is because of that, because until he was, like he still hasn't been labeled either, like it hasn't been ruled out, and he hasn't give, been given an official diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder because you don't need it here to get the support. So he still had infant development from the day uh -huh. he was born and the they still paid for him for daycare for socialization and to not make me want to leave him in his crib and walk away because he was so difficult. And yeah. my oldest, he was so easy. And, um, and it's not as if um, my youngest ever cried or anything. Like he was an, an easy baby if you left him alone. And I wasn't going to leave him right, alone, right? right? Like I wasn't going to let him be in his little world. I was going to break him from that if right. it was going to be. Well, the Sam mm -hmm. is that way, yeah. And so still to this so. day, like he still has. The fun things about it, though, is he would line up all of his riding toys in a straight line and all of his toys that made um, noise and all of his Hot Wheels. And he would spend hours and hours lining them up perfectly straight and sorting them per type. 
and he would leave the room and you could change one of the cars, like the Hot Wheels cars. So it was the wrong way around. And as soon as he walked in the room, he would see which car was out of place, go back and switch it. And it was the most fascinating thing ever just to play with that infant development part of the brain. Fascinating. But the, the, when when we when we would go to a like a a church mm-hmm. potluck, Sam would go around and uh, align all the chairs yes. in certain ways. Yes, stuff like that is just <laughs> really neat to see. At yeah. least I find it is like yeah. people who who um, I I don't find those things frustrating. It's like when when people complain that their children are pouring the water out of the cup. It's they're learning how physics works. They're doing their first science sure, experiments. Right, they're learning. Right. They do it yes, over and over again because they're they're trying to make sure you know. Oh, in two of the three trials, yes. in one and, of the three trials, gravity works backwards. <laughs> and it's when they say like, I would actually watch it as they were doing it. I'm like, this is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it is. You're watching a brain yeah. develop. You're watching a theory a theory of the of reality. Yeah. Uh, and they're not doing yeah. it to piss you off they're doing it to learn about their no. environment and that's where a lot of people's friends the terrible twos weren't terrible they were the most fascinating things ever because that's when they're learning the most about boundaries and the way they're in, and they're really really starting to explore things and it's one of the most fascinating times ever i never i never i don't know maybe i'm weird about those things but i definitely do not miss the banging heads off of walls and or it that evolved to he would go into his room where he couldn't hurt anybody else, slam the door and start kicking the walls over and over and over again instead of banging his head. Now he just gives himself yeah. a timeout to soothe himself. He also does this thing still like when um eventually after I had to stop the creative nursing techniques, like the football hold was the most creative I had to be. Um then yeah. um he could nurse with I have two moles at the back of my neck. Um, and he would self-soothe himself to get over the, the closeness by either rubbing the two moles on the back of my neck or playing with my earlobe. And now still to this day, he's almost 12. If he's in a social situation that he's uncomfortable with, he will sit beside me and either rub the moles on the back of my neck or play with my earlobes to soothe himself. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but going shopping until he was like five, it was a nightmare because someone would say hi to him and he'd freak out. Like, oh, my God. It, it was yeah. the... It was hell. He's a great child, and he's very affectionate, and he's a lot of fun, and he's super, super smart. But there's issues <laughs> that made things quite challenging yeah. at times. And and it's like, this is, I'm supposed to be able to hold and love my baby, and he doesn't want to be touched, and he doesn't want to be looked at, and he doesn't want anything. And, and fighting against that and not saying, fine, you want to be in your crib all day by yourself? <laughs> Sometimes Sam would be Sam would be like that. He he uh, very uh, self maintaining as far as hanging out by mm-hmm. himself, playing with toys. Um, and it, it became it became a little weird. Well, I've learned some things, but um, for a while, you know, the people we were speaking to about how to how to help him would give us all this advice about floor time and eye contact and forcing him to basically getting into his face and, and getting him to mm-hmm. interact. And, um, and we do some of that, but it, it was weird because we just stopped trying to play with him for a while because it was so unrewarding. Yes, it's frustrating. 
Whereas with with the other kids, there you know, that would just naturally happen because they would give us rewards for mm-hmm. interacting with them. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. He's um, one thing I've kind of realized is that had uh had this diagnosis and and this understanding existed back when I was was born 1967 mm-hmm. uh, I would have likely had a diagnosis yes, I would have likely had a um, diagnosis of, a, of Asperger's if it was a thing when my, I was younger yeah my mom wasn't uh she died a few years back so she hasn't seen Sam the way he is now but I really wish I could ask her and say tell me what you know is he like mm-hmm. me am I like was I like that and I she she did meet him, uh, but it, while he was still younger and before he was manifesting a lot of the sort of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I believe that um, most likely he was that that I was very much like that. He may be a little more severe. I, I'm not really clear on that, but uh, you know, I function. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that I, I'm even happy much yeah, of the time. That's yeah, the thing that so. I find with people that. <sighs> Especially when it comes to the anti-vaxxers that would rather have a child with measles and potential dying than have autism. I'm thinking, what, so you would rather have your child be dead than them having autism? What kind of lesson are you giving your child, let alone the whole general world? Like, yes, it can be difficult sometimes. (laughs) And I know I personally, like a lot of people sometimes think I'm an unfeeling, uncaring person when I care deeply, but I just go about it differently. Right, I process the world differently. Yeah, I have different triggers. Yeah. I, I, everything is a very logical sequence with me. It doesn't mean I don't care. It just, I go about it differently, um, and my triggers are different or whatever. And I, and I, I just, uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like any other thing that it really needs to be destigmatized. I think is. Um, same with even things like bipolar and schizophrenia and all that stuff, right? That people see those things as a burden instead of just a difference of, right. of right. the way that a brain works. And to, to me, I find those things very frustrating. Um, when he's not miserable, it's really, it is interesting to watch how his mind mm-hmm. works. Um, but uh, he is... He's anxious, you know, and uh, he always looks down. He always looks depressed, mm-hmm. and uh, when he, and he doesn't deal with transitions yes. well. And do so do, when we do have to, do you to, do five minute warnings, ten minute warnings? Yeah, yeah, uh, he does get that, uh, and that helps some. But he, uh, but yeah, he he's um, uh, he's often very he gets very worked up and he and he holds a grudge i don't know if if your child does that but he if you've crossed him you know if you've broken his rule if you said no you can't have that or you can't do this or we're doing this instead he'll stick with that he'll he'll start to go no and he'll be mad and he'll and upset his face mm-hmm. will be screwed up and wrinkled and, and and he'll stick with that for an hour or two. My my youngest you know. used to stick with it for an hour. Now he gets over it more quickly, like because I let him have that. Like I don't acknowledge it, and I but yeah. I don't poo poo it either. I just let him. I said, okay, if you're gonna do that, you need to go do it in a safe place, right? Like very early yeah. on, we we set up rules and boundaries so he could have that 
outburst because it's necessary. To, like you probably know when you're angry and someone tells you not to be angry, how much worse that that that, that right, exasperates right. things, right? <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah. I just let them have it because it's their moves because I know yeah. what it's like to. I, I do. I, I do know what it's like too because I mean inside, you know, deep down inside, although I've learned to, you know, control mm-hmm. myself a little more, I know I'm, I'm still, part of me is still screaming yes. much of the time. So it, it's just one of those <laughs> things where he needs, this is just my own experience talking, right? And then some of my education, yeah. he just needs a safe environment that's not going to drive you nuts and hurt the rest of the kids to be able to have that. Yeah. And then it, it gets better. Like I started doing the 10 minute warnings, five minute warnings um, with my oldest when he was really, really young, when he was got his diagnosis of severe ADHD because it helps with that as well. And it just naturally carried in to um how i do things with my old with my youngest and now i don't even have to give him like he's everything is so scheduled and so regimented that now he just knows when these transitions are going to happen like um when it comes for shower times or for meal times or when it's time to get up because it's just been this pattern for so long um when there's a change in the schedule he still gets some anxiety around yeah. it, and I get anxiety around yeah. that stuff too. So I understand where that in anxiety yeah. is coming from because I have the same triggers. I like to have uh, some mental, at least a, at least a half a day's notice as to yes. sort of to mentally plan. Yes. And it sounds stupid, well, you know. It says you must be an idiot, no, you, you know. But it's like you no, don't I just. <laughs> What I if I like to know what we're going to yep. be doing for an evening or what we're going to be doing the next day, and when my wife is very spontaneous and she's always yeah, I had an planning ex that was things, very, and she's yeah. always getting she's always getting she's always overloading her schedule and, and tends to forget things because that doesn't bother mm-hmm. her. But you, you and know? I get huge anxiety. She likes those things. Yeah. I mean, she and I, we have a calendar mm-hmm. now and we try to work things out. And, and you know, it's not like, it's it's not our big, you know, it's not a big issue really. But it's just, it's sort of just a thing that's always happening is, is I have to say, you know, sometimes I just say, well, I can't go with you. I'm just not yeah. prepared to, to, cha- to, to change gears that yeah. quickly, you know. No, I get that completely. So. And trying to explain that to other people sometimes isn't always the easiest thing. And I have to, it's. Like trying to book um, talk times with 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 people. I don't like surprises either. Like surprises, really, really, I don't like them. I don't like them. There's only one person that's that knows yeah. me well enough and understands and was actually the first person to ever ask me in my life, "Do you have Aspergers?" I'm like, "Wow, you pay attention, right?" <laughs> like it was like, "Wow, right. you actually pay attention to who I am," and um, has been able to surprise me and knows me well enough that which surprises are safe surprises and that are not going yeah. to be um me freaking out like wait a minute i don't i'm not planned for this and what and and i yeah sometimes people will get will go the opposite way where they'll get like they they know that you've got some some issues or some triggers or whatnot and then they'll get super cautious and they're like okay i'm and now then we're gonna do this yeah. and is that okay and you're like Shut up. <laughs> come on yes so it's nice the, the mm. odd times that people pay attention enough to, to who you are to know, okay, that I can. And it just like, I'm not a romantic person either, except for like, I hate flowers. They're so impractical. I'm such a pragmatic, practical person. And I see like relationships uh-huh. as contracts and things to be negotiated. 
I am so, and I always find myself in relationships with romantic people that sometimes I swear they're the female in the relationship. That's funny. I, I can kind of, I can kind of actually say that in some of my relationships, I've been more, more the female. <laughs> and so it's one of these things where like with, with the, like right now I'm with a very romantic person but they've changed their idea of romance to be more of my idea of romance, right? So it's one of these things like, yeah. okay, we can compromise here. Or most, like with my last relationship, he'd get quite upset that, that um, like, yes, I'd appreciate it for, for the effort, but it never made me go, oh, yay, and jump for joy and become all giddy and happy and everything, right? Because it was like, oh, okay, well, thank you for making the efforts, that's the best I can do, yeah. right? And they would get upset over that. Like, well, it's not my fault you're doing something you know. That's <laughs> Things are, I've gotten to the point, you know, I mean, I'm coming up on my 10th anniversary mm -hmm. and, and things are going very well, you know, overall. Yes. I mean, that we it's difficult. Well, it has to be going over. Like you say, we're hitting five kids. Yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm very, the things that, that make me so, so giddy, like you say, you know, if, uh, if she makes a a, a, a nice meal, mm -hmm. you know, or or if we get a, if if we manage to get two hours in a week yes. to go out and actually chat, that's just like it's a, a small thing, just marvelous. It's the small yeah, small things right. that yeah, I, I'm I'm all about the small things, the small the ones that really show the person's paying attention to who you are, and not just doing things like buying you flowers because any schmuck can buy somebody flowers, but. But yeah. making it and after ten years, you know, we still have these small, uh, affectionate moments and whatnot that still make me believe that it's it's all worthwhile. You know, would have, that's awesome. That <laughs> really is. Well, <laughs> like I was thinking when you got pregnant with the fifth kid, like it. I'm just thinking. Well, obviously they're still having sex. That's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, our our, our uh, Grace would be embarrassed if she hears this, and but as I won't say much about that. But you know, yes, your sex life has to become extremely efficient. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but at least you're still having if there, one. If there is one at all, yes. yeah, yeah. But at least you're still having so. one. So that's the whole. To me, I'm like as soon as the communication stops. And the sex stops is when, in my mind, anyways, that's when a relationship's in in trouble. It's the communication we really have to we have to f like push on through and and force it to happen. Oftentimes, the only conversation we will get to have on a given day is actually a few sentences shouted over yes. a screaming child. But, but when yeah. it comes to communication, do you feel comfortable sharing with her the things that are bothering you? That's what I, like, it may not be that you have lots of talk time, but when it comes to the important issues, like if you're having something that's really ticking you off, are you... Make me anxious. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, usually it's, I mean, as, as most, you know, couples and whatnot, usually it's something that's happening with money, mm -hmm. you know, or... Uh, or, or just, um, you know, what are we doing with our yes. lives? <laughs> you know, or trying to prioritize some kind of thing. And yeah, we, we, we managed to talk things out. Although, you know, every once in a while we wind up where I'm freaking out about something and I'm trying to make her understand why this is bothering yes. me. And she's sort of, but yeah, we're, we're very different in some ways, but very pragmatically similar in some mm -hmm. ways as well. So like, um, 
I love fiction. Uh, she is like you. She doesn't read a lot of fiction. Uh, she reads mostly nonfiction, and she's into very pragmatic, like the books she reads. Uh, she loves to read uh, cookbooks and books about gardening and books about, um, you know, uh, politics. She's into, she's a community organizer, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so stuff like yeah, for that. For me, it's geology and physics and, and um, psychology and human behavior and religion i love studying about different religions and i took a couple classes i I took a course in college about sects and that's Mm s-e-c-t-s and and cults american sects and cults which was fascinating um because uh got to read about um the bhagwan sri rajneesh and the and as well as other movements like the seventh day adventists Mm -hmm. and and, and I've, those groups fascinate me. I I was raised not by evangelicals, but around mm-hmm. evangelicals. And, uh, you know, altar calls and, and have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and all that. Right. And, and that's so uh, bizarre. But, uh, that stuff is very rare uh, in Canada. And on my on my father's side, my father was involved in, with a, a spiritual teacher uh, who, you know, was... Uh, more like what most people would call a cult, mm-hmm. you know, where like, uh, you know, garlands of flowers and meditation mm-hmm. sessions and going to the ashram and all that. And so I would, uh, I didn't see my dad a whole lot, but when I did spend some time with him, it was this bizarre juxtaposition of these of these two worlds. You know, mm-hmm. in the one world I'd be going to uh, a Def Leppard concert when I was 14 and there would be a, a at the parking lot of the Erie Civic Center, there'd be uh, gangs of people waving signs, explaining that I was going to go to hell for listening to heavy metal music. Oh. And then, and then, you know, that summer I'd be out actually uh, chanting, and I, we went to Hindu temples, we went to uh, you know mm-hmm. ashrams, we uh, um, you know spent some spent time with with groups there, and and then he was a a psychologist and so i spent <laughs> sounds bizarre i spent a little bit of time inside a, a, a state prison for the criminally insane sort of really <laughs> just and then my mom was uh not when i say inside i mean i was just visiting yep, yep. but uh and my mom was a uh, social uh was a uh, an occupational therapist mm-hmm. And I did a little volunteering there too, uh, in a in a community mental health center. So uh, accustomed to lots of different types of craziness, I guess you could say. Yeah, I, and when it comes to like, the, there's there's some fiction that I enjoy, but I'm really, it's really picky for me, and I prefer I prefer science fiction, but because I'm I'm such a rational being, sometimes. It's very difficult for me to to remember this is fiction, Jules. This is fiction, Jules. Of course, they're going to take liberties with this, right? It's fiction. But there's certain things yeah. that I can't let go of that, and it just really upsets me that I'm like, that's just so impossible. Like it's, And that same with, same with some <laughs> fantasy. Like, I'm really... Like, when it comes to movies like The Princess Bride or Labyrinth or The Secret of Nim. Or, or um, never-ending story or stuff like that that are like 
completely different worlds and realities, that's a little bit more easy for me dark, to, to accept. Dark crystal. Um, yeah, that's an awesome one as well. Those kind of things yeah. I can accept very, very easily yeah. because okay. because they're... But there's other ones that... Um, like, um, um, oh, it had to do with a dragon in it. And I don't know. It was There was something fundamentally flawed about the way they were weaving in, like, a, say, a, the Age of Merlin with whatever, right? Because they were using something that is such a... a, a yeah, that it was just like, oh, no, I can't stomach this. It was same with um, the Battlestar Galactica um, reboot, the, the new series. It was very difficult for me... Like, it was well-written, and it was well-done overall. But first of all, like, it was supposed to be this huge poser and thinker and making people think about um, social dynamics that they normally don't think of. Well, it didn't make me think uh, any I mean, of that. It was stuff mo- that I had learned uh, in first-year sociology in university, right? Mo- like, it was... Most sort of mainstream science fiction, like a good example of a of a mainstream science fiction film that blew people's minds uh, was The Matrix, yeah. right? Well, that uh, so The Matrix took some ideas, borrowed some ideas from some philosophers and from writers like Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. But it's like The Matrix is like one-tenth of a Phil Dick yeah. novel as far as... And it's like, so this was your... your your mind-blowing conundrum Yeah, and same with Inception. I had the same thing where everyone was like, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched it. I'm like, well, it was a cool movie, but it didn't make me think anything that I hadn't already thought about a million times over. Maybe I just think too much about stuff, right? Because I'm a very introspective person. (laughs) And I, like, I, I, with my ex, I said, so he goes, so what are you thinking about? You're you're really quiet. And I told him. And he's like, wow, that's so deep. And I said to him, really? That's just one of my surface thoughts. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> I guess you exactly. really don't want to know what goes in here most of the time because that's not deep at all. That was fluff what I just spewed out to you. Um, so in that way, it's very difficult for me. And another thing that bothered me about did you ever did you ever did, I'm sorry did, mm. did you ever see Barton Fink? No, I did, I haven't. Oh, no. uh, oh, okay. Well, that joke wouldn't make okay. any sense. I'll just carry okay. on. Sorry. Uh, another <laughs> thing about the new BSG that really bothered me was. Um, all of the Mormon and Assyrian overtones in it that they took too many creative licenses with, it, those religions are fascinating enough on their own where they could have used the religions as is, and yeah, and it yeah. would have been... It didn't need any of the changes or embellishments that they did. Now, it doesn't... It Yes, it's fiction, and I've had this discussion with someone else before. It's science fiction. It's supposed to be. I'm like, but good, the, certain things they didn't need to change on it because it is one of those whole things like when the last Indiana Jones movie came out like we'll just pretend it was bad to begin with writing and script wise and everything but as soon as they went to the ancient astronaut thing at the end I'm like oh dear god no no (laughs) you're going to feel you're going to feel more people who think that there's reptile people like it's it's no now more people are going to think this is actually factual about how these religions were and because of that fact you're why not just put the fact right. in there right like what you, one of one of one of the uh, first books i got from like the scholastic uh, book club in grade mm-hmm. school when i was when was uh, eric von Daniken chariot of the gods that's a good book i think <laughs> it, it, for it's a, it's an in, for what it yeah, is yeah <laughs> for what it is it's a good book <laughs> yeah but yeah. The, when it comes to actually 
a book that I had to review not too long ago, which surprisingly enjoyed me because after I watched the trailer and I actually gave the trailer, like I said, some really scathing things when I had seen the trailer for the book and it, it got, the, the publishing company is like, we would like to give you a copy of the book to review. You read what I said about the trailer, about this book, didn't you? And they're like, yep, this is why we want you to review it, because you will be honest. (laughs) Night of the Living Trekkies. It's an awesome book. It's fluff, obviously. It's Night of the Living Trekkies. It's zombies at a Trek convention. It's the most fun I've had in a while. It's hilarious. I'm trying to remember. There was a, uh, who wrote, this was at least uh, 15 years ago, maybe more there was a, a mystery novel that i forget who wrote it it was set at a, at a con and all the characters were very stereotypical mm-hmm. uh people you would bump into at a, at a con like disclave mm-hmm. um and i can't oh, i wish i could remember the name of it. it was really funny as well and, and i i i'm not um I've been to a couple cons, but it's not like uh, in my blood, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't enjoy it that much. I'd probably really enjoy at this now that I'm older and I can socialize yes. a little more with strangers. I'd probably really enjoy it more at this age, something like PAX or whatnot. PAX but at the time yes. when I was like 19 or so, mm. uh, I was just too shy to yep. get much out of it. I got more out of the the merchandise room and wound up buying way too many you know out of print books and whatnot but uh but felt uh isolated most of the you know most of the weekend yeah i find when i tell people i'm very shy they think oh whatever you're i'm hurt you're so talkative i'm like it's because there's a computer and there's this between us if (laughs) like i wouldn't have been able to do packs if they didn't have a community and twitter and forums and i was able to get to know the people before meeting them face to face if i have to meet someone face to face cold you don't get a word out of me. I, I can't be in a room of more than three or four people unless I know them really, really well. And even I'm similar, I, I can I can have a conversation with someone one on one in person or with a group of maybe two people, mm-hmm. um, and not do too badly, not not like look too um, awkward and feel like impaired. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but in a at a party situation oh, where there's a lot of conversation, I just like I just want to leave. Yep. You know. Yeah, I do yeah. know it's terrible. And when I try telling people that, they think, "Oh, whatever." I'm like, "You don't understand." <laughs> I was No, it's real. Yeah. It's it's a real it's it's like going shopping like it's 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 unbelievable the amount of mental talk I have to go into. I was having a crisis the other week. I had four people die in 8 days because of the complications of lupus. And people die all the time Ouch. because of the complications of lupus. But it was four in 8 days, right? And it was just wow. it was yeah. it totally messed with my with my brain and I was speaking with with my Alfred we'll just call him my Alfred <laughs> about it and and I'm like how am I supposed like I, I can't socialize with people right now I'm going completely like my brain is overloading this is too much too much for me to handle and uh and he says you're just going to have to step on stage and, and go into your actress mode and like oh I guess I can use that coping mechanism because I can be on stage in a play playing a different role in front of thousands of people and I don't get stage fright because it's not me on stage. I, Interesting. I, 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 yeah. I, I completely become that character and every character I've ever played in a play, 
there's always a part of it that stays with me because I really do become that character. And sometimes I'm quite insufferable to be around because the character doesn't leave <laughs> until the stuck. <laughs> I'm stuck in that yes. mode and that my That's body ma- mannerisms change. And um, when the last plays I was in, I had to learn a Southern accent. Most difficult thing for me to ever learn. It would start off Southern and end in an upper class English accent. <laughs> and it was like it was like three weeks before opening curtain when I finally got this Texas accent, really, really trailer park trashy Southern accent. <laughs> and then it took me months to get rid of it. You need to talk to, to Denise more. <laughs> <laughs> it was even more pronounced than Denise's. And yeah. and it took me months. And every once in a while, that accent and that character slips out. <laughs> and it's just like out of the blue. There's... I'm just trying to picture the combination of, of Canadian and, and Southern Texas. Uh, it's bizarre. Funny. And it's like last time it happened, the person I was talking with, he was like, holy cow, did that Southern accent just come out of you? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but that's Miss Faye McVeigh talking right now. You have to excuse her. A few, a few neurons got permanently rewired <laughs> yes. every once in a while. They start firing. Yes, yeah. and it's the most bizarre right. thing. Um, but so there's some. That's what I have to cope. To use to cope is because I can be on stage as someone else, and I'm fine because it's not me. It's a character. And well, you've been great. To- Talking over Skype, you sound very well, uh, relaxed and natural. I am, and part of it has to do with the fact that, like, I've conversed enough with you and had enough interaction with you over the last year and a half, where I feel in as if I know you. And whatnot, yes, yeah. where I feel that I know you. So it's like I could meet you tomorrow and be very, very comfortable with you because we've had, like, I've seen your tweets and we've had the the different talks in in either chat and TMA or or whatever. Um, and then seeing, reading your blogs when I have the time to and listening to your podcasts with Brace when I have the time to. And and so I have a feel for who you are. But there's other times, like I can remember one chat conversation that I had where um, I was, I thought I was hiding my discomfort very well until it was over. It was me and Alfred <laughs> and my Alfred and somebody else. And after we got off, he said, wow, that was, that was your stage, Jules, that was just there. Like, what the hell happened? I wanted to bring you into this conversation so the person got to know you. I'm like, it was my first real experience with this person, and I freaked out, and stage Jules came out. It's, Mm. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, but I kind of, I was uncomfortable. And that's, yeah. I had to find a way to cope. Yeah. Grace is always trying to get me, not always, I mean, she knows me pretty well by now, but she's occasionally trying to get me to, um, you know, have normal, healthy uh, engagements with other people for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, introduce me to someone and say, oh, you guys should, you know, should talk or what. I'm like, what? Huh? I have to talk to someone? <laughs> <laughs> I have to get to know someone? I, I'm supposed to call him? I, I hate the phone. I hate, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not... I, I just have... I, I found myself in avoidance mode sometimes doing what ought to be the most basic simple social interactions mm-hmm. you know but I, I just i have to make allowances you know and and yes. i have to ask her to make allowances and say get us uh, you know get us together in the right context yes. and and i'll talk like crazy uh, it helps if you feed me a coffee <laughs> <laughs> it, it, anyway 
it's for people who are naturally social is very difficult and even still like I'm more like at least I'm self-aware enough that I know that sometimes I come off as the way that I come off like I'm not stupid I spend a lot of time thinking about who I am and how um, and, yeah, and I have to yeah. remember I'm the alien the rest of the world isn't the weird one I'm the weird one and people do these things that I feel are huge like boundary pushers and completely unacceptable not because they're they're trying to be mean but because that's their weird human they're, way of showing they're up just to doing care. Yeah, they're what, being they, human. what they grew up doing. yeah <laughs> they're being human I'm the one who's being the alien but um yeah. I I find oh what was I going to say that um even though it, it's kind of becoming easier, and I don't know if it's because um, I found a community of geeks where we're just we're just weird to begin with, so having those quirks are just easier to accept. I think maybe I'm I'm not sure, but um, I find among the normals like my family and the rest of the world that are not geeks, I still have a really hard time trying to fit in and I find myself asking questions this reminds me like even of people who are geeks like I can remember a few months ago because I'm not I'm still not sure what the etiquette is because for me if I say it's not bothering me it really means it's not bothering me and I'm okay right I, where most people when they say yeah I'm fine I'm okay it's they're they're fishing for you to pry more oh Grace and I have uh, have issues with that all the yeah, time. Yeah, and it's where, like it's where like, I think this is. I mean, this is when I think I've asked her to do something, or I think I've told her my opinion about something, and it was too subtle. Yeah, and and, and she she wants it to be very clearly laid out, you know. And she's never a speaking in code. Whereas yeah. when I sort of my up, upbringing, I don't think this isn't necessarily related to the to the other stuff, but just my upbringing, you know. You said things subtly. You mm-hmm. said you said what you wanted subtly. You didn't demand things. Yeah. You didn't outright complain. You know. And I, uh, and, and, I don't speak in code, so it's like the one of the things that would really frustrate me in relationships is the people who say everything's fine as they're slamming the cupboard door. Well, obviously everything's not <laughs> fine because you're making a hell of a scene at the moment. What's going on? And I have this thing is I'll ask you twice. And if you tell me everything's fine, then you know what? Buttercup, you got to suck it up and deal with it on your own because I'm done caring. Yeah. Like I've moved on. It's now your problem. I did learn. I, I did go to enough uh, counseling sessions where I, I, I no longer will. Uh, like I'll, I'll try I'll be pretty blunt talking about the relationship. And mm-hmm. also I will. I'll do this technique of uh, checking in. You yes, know, checking saying. in is important. I do that often. It's like, are you sure? But just to make sure everything's on the same page and do what it just is maintenance is normal. It's like doing an oil change, right? <laughs> but but I frequently get knotted up where I know I'm up. I, I'm sure this must happen to you where I know some. I know I'm upset, but, but I haven't even it. begun to unpack it. Yet. Yes, and it's and when and when you do dig into it, you're like, wow, was I upset about that and yes. that and oh and that too? Oh, geez, I thought I was over that, you yeah. know, or whatnot. But I have and and but it comes on just as like mm-hmm. this big, and then the it, it takes a lot yes. of work to f- dig it apart. Yes, but I uh, have I've, anyway. like a example, like things that I find myself getting in trouble. And sometimes I don't even know how to ask. Like a, a friend of mine broke up. Her and her relationship ended a couple months ago. And we were talking about it. She goes, no, 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 I'm fine. It's actually for the best. And I'm like I said, okay, now are you actually fine? 
Are you speaking in girl code and you want me to ask more and be consoling? Like, I don't know what to say here, right? Like, <laughs> it's you're not, telling... It doesn't come naturally. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, you told me you're, you're fine and please don't take this the wrong way, but are you actually, like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Like, I want to high five you and right. say, okay, cool, and walk away. Like, that's my automatic reaction is, right. okay, they say they're I'm fine. Not that, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that bad. I mean, some people sort of within the Aspergery range just mm-hmm. don't don't get body language and don't get expressions at all and i remember having a friend um a, a, a friend and a coworker who well i will not mention by name because he probably wouldn't <laughs> but where i would i would actually be furious with him and i'd be raging at him actually yelling at him mm-hmm. and and you know i'm sure you've seen that with some people where they just sort of they the the most they look is sort of vaguely puzzled that's me. I'm the vaguely puzzled person in return. Are you? Okay. Yes. I had my okay. ex. He actually like got in my face really ape-like. Like he even got in the angry ape posture where his knuckles were on the coffee <laughs> table as he's bending over to me. And he's like screaming right in my face. And he's like, why aren't you upset over this? Can't you show some goddamn emotion for once and blah, 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 blah. And I said, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking about it and considering it, and I have to decide how I'm going to proceed with this information that yeah. you're giving me. It's not that I don't care, but I'm there listening, to- and I'm deciding, okay, like I'm going through, I'm crunching the data. <laughs> there seem to be degrees of that. Like some people um, can just can't figure it out like it just doesn't signify anything like they, I, I it doesn't understand. like they they don't come they don't realize oh i see anger happening yeah well i understand you that know? they're angry but it doesn't make me angry or comfortable it makes me want to understand it and figure yeah. out their logic and how they're getting there because me i would not be upset in that situation at all because it's one of those things at the end of the day it doesn't matter and i'm finding i'm oh. very baffled over why are they reacting this way to this and I'm listening and trying to get those clues so I can figure out this puzzle and deal with it in a way that both people feel the situation has been dealt with. It's not that so I don't... So would you say that that, that you're actually... Uh, this is maybe a strange question. Mm. Sort of actually resonate and feel empathy in a natural way or not? No, I don't think I do because a lot of the times... like I, I understand what it's like to be upset and stuff like that, right? But with yeah. me is I a lot of times when people are upset about things, I don't understand why that situation has got them upset. Because for me, it's not something to get your knickers in a knot over. It's such mm-hmm. a non-event that most things that people get upset over, it just I don't understand why they're why they're why it's bothering them because I'm a very lot. It's very rare when I come into a but, situation. But, not, but I, see, I just asked, I asked a question about feeling and you're talking about thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. because that's how I come to feelings by thinking. Right. This is my process, right? right? I, I get information. I think about right, but it. You see I, the, you see the, you see the sort of how that happens. Yes. And, and it's yeah. very rare that I come across information where I have an emotion reaction first before I've had a chance to think about it. Yeah. yeah. And when I'm, I have, I'm, I'm when I have. somewhat like that. Yeah. yeah. And when I have initial, an emotion reaction before I've gone through the logic process, it's really disconcerting for me. I think I'm broken. And I've had a few conversations in the last year where I'm freaking out because my my data chip, my my emotional chip is broken. And I, when 
an example of this because it's, it's like a year since this discussion occurred. So it's like right in my brain as a good example without being too personal and giving out information that other people might get upset about. But it's been blogged about in in a kind of about way. So it's this part of it's mm-hmm. totally public knowledge, right? But um, up until last year, if anybody told me that the concept of being in love was a thing, I would say you are a delusional person in love is a concept that people create to make themselves feel better about yourself. <laughs> love is not something you fall in or out of. Love just is. You either love somebody or you don't love them. It, it's um, And once you love someone, it doesn't stop because love just is. True love just is. Lo and behold, I fall in love. I'm feeling all of these emotions <laughs> and all these things, and I'm freaking out because there's no A went to B. I can't find the cause and effect. All of a sudden, I'm like, there's no, like every relationship I could point to and say, okay, well, I'm feeling this way right now in this relationship because they did this or because they did this. And yes, I've loved every person that I've been in with, but it's been no different than the love that like, I'm I'm very polyamorous and I love multiple people at the same time. And it's all the same type of love. And I can, it was a very logical process and I never thought about them in a romantic relationship way until they came to me and said I would like to be in a relationship with you and I thought about it like, huh. and and crunched the numbers and like okay we're compatible <laughs> in these ways like when people say like crunched ask me on um for dating and I've never been on a date because I've always known the people for a long time beforehand and, and then it just sort of seemed logical yes yeah, it yeah. seemed logical so we got into a relationship because you and have then needs we, i have needs yes. <laughs> why not we, we we were compatible or whatever and the relationships would end because they they enjoy my pragmatism when we're friends but they didn't enjoy it when we were in a relationship yeah, they wanted yeah. me to change the way that i was but, and i'm like this is who i am like i thought this is what you loved um, the so. empathy thing has has been of particular interest lately to me because, um, especially Sam, when he's uh, losing it, you know, when mm-hmm. he's down, when he's upset, when he's and he's not throwing a tantrum in the way. It's not the same way that a lot of children yes. throw tantrums, where they're yes. raging and you can see they're just in a rage. Yes, you know, he's really upset, and I feel it in my gut in a way that I don't often feel. Mm-hmm empathy for other people yes and, and i have the int- same thing with when my kids are because i understand where it's coming because it's coming from a place that is different than most people it's so, really hurt yeah he's yes. really hurt and it's and he doesn't know uh he doesn't know how to tap into that and control it and mm-hmm. modulate it yeah and, and it's scary like i know when i'm feeling very strong emotion that like it with the whole falling in love thing i thought i was going insane and i'm just and it, it was when like it took <laughs> the way that it was it was, i sat down and says shared i'm going to exp- i'm going to teach you a- about emotion through logic and 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 the other person in the relationship is the only like they were able to explain what i was feeling in a way that made sense to my aspergery brain and it was like the most like it was one of these things like, wow, you actually see me. You're able to explain something to me that if it were anybody else, I said, you're a mad fool trying to convince yourself of something that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'm, I'm going I'm, crazy. <laughs> I went through um, 
Uh, my development, my like uh, emotional development was uh, and social development specifically was was really delayed. Like everything mm-hmm. more or less happened, but I I think I didn't really have what was my first true like romantic big romantic mm-hmm. crush until I was in college. You know. Yeah, see, I don't and even that, think I've even had a crush on anybody. Like, I've never thought about romantic relationships until they the other person brought it up. Okay, so well, that is that is a little different. But I had yeah. so, but I was still going through like. So there is there's you know trying to define romance and whatnot and romantic love, and I think it does happen. But what most people talk about when they talk about that is basically this um, this uh puppy love kind of crush thing which is really dramatic and it's full of sound and fury and ultimately it doesn't signify that much Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's something it's a it's a developmental stage more than they call it in love and they're falling in it and to me it's just one of those things like no you don't love them you are in love with them sure you may love them and you lost over them and and whatever, but that's that's not love, and it's gonna fall up. Like love doesn't fall apart. Sure, it can but, have yeah. its bumps. The ro- the romantic relationship, the relationship that that led to me finally deciding that you know this is my partner that that mm-hmm. I should marry was not. Um, I mean, we're very affectionate, mm-hmm. and, and we are romantic in with it like a small r. Yeah, but it but it was largely this pragmatic affection you know like uh it's um you know and and it's hard to describe without sounding like you know well you you know like you say people will say you don't know what you're missing you're like no i don't think that's true i I mean if you it's more stable this way as far as i'm concerned i feel like saying to people you don't know what you're missing because i can put my head on my pillow at the end of the night and know that there is a strong firm foundation and because yeah, of that strong, yeah. firm foundation, I do still have giddy feelings. And I still feel as much in love today as I did a year ago when my yeah. brain decided that it was going to melt down. <laughs> I, think, I think that's true because I, I still um, I still am in love with my wife and in, in uh, not in a, a, a gigantic uh, crush you know mm-hmm. not in a big overwhelm but in a in a Isn't like awesome where i feel where comfortable yes and, and i feel and comfortable and i feel safe and, yes. and i felt i feel understood yes. and and defended you know yes. and that's and that's that's really worth having <laughs> and you look at them and you just want to smile and you just think oh yeah. you're a wonderful person and it's i i think part of it to me too is i don't hold grudges which is is odd. It's like if I have an issue, I will speak it. And unless you keep um, repeating the same behavior that had me um, upset the first time, yeah, it, it never yeah. gets brought up again in another argument. I don't, I don't hold grudges over the long term. I can I can be pretty pissed for a short. Yeah, and while, and it's a, it's a small little burst of you did this, you've messed up. I'm angry because of this, and I will say like I'm yeah. angry because of this, and da 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 da, and I don't feel. And most times, just information purposes, they will take it away and they will deal with it. Either they will change their behavior or they will not. But I've said my, what I have to say, and now I'm. Do you I'm find cool. that you're uh, obsessing with the concept of of being as fair as possible to other yes. people? Yes. Absolutely. Like you're always. I have. Saying, yes. So I how have. does that how does that fit in 
with um, what a lot of people view as um, I've, I've experienced it as like a lack of loyalty. In other words, that's like very difficult for me. Like you're juggling is... this thing that you you want to be loyal. This person is saying, "Well, you have to take my side." And you're like, "Well, no, my brain makes it incapable yes. of just taking your side. I have to weigh all the different yes. facts and really try and judge most in an even tempered way." Mm-hmm. Most of my friends, because I've always been that way, they, for the most part, um, that's just who I am, and they come to me, especially couples. Both of them will be barking in one ear about what the other have done because they know I won't take sides. And that they can both come and I'm not going to think either one of them is horrible. And I can approach it from a way and give them some words that they may be seeking that isn't going to, like, I'm not one of these people. If if, if somebody comes to me and says that and starts doing the gender bashing thing, I won't have that. Yeah. I won't good, have it at all. Good for you. Um, I'm, so, I'm sick, I'm sick of, of being accused of all these things because I'm male and... I actually mm-hmm. took women's studies classes in college and, and got a lot oh, out of yes. them. Like the, the whole male bashing thing, and he was such, I'm here, well, what, you obviously, it takes two to tango. What have you done in this? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but it's yeah. not all the guy's fault, and you got to stop blaming the man for everything. Like, hello, like you want to have your wages, and then you get angry either that he has opened the door for you or he hasn't opened the door for you. or Right, like, right. Just get over it like please get out i don't want to hear it like every well, time there's a all girls night i don't go i do not go because it's going to be a hen party and here's an here's an here's an example of the the confusion so uh, my first date with with my wife way back mm-hmm. 10, 10 years ago we went out and we met at a cafe and uh we had a great chat we like t- we closed the place. It was really mm-hmm. bizarre, you know. We didn't was not expecting it to go that long, and and um, so you know, we said goodnight, and I uh, immediately asked to make another date, and she was very happy about that. But what she told me later was that since I did not walk her back to her car, she was considering. She was upset by that and felt like I she should not see me again because i didn't walk her back to her car and i was thinking you know i could offer to walk her back to her car but that would very i mean she's going to be going back to like a parking structure that's mostly empty and Mm -hmm. that might make her really uncomfortable for her to be like me following her into the fourth floor of an empty parking structure so i'm thinking i I just shouldn't really offer that because i don't want to freak her out so we were both trying. She she saw it as I I wasn't um, fully taking care of yeah. her by walking her back to her car. And I saw it as I want to make sure I don't um, weird her out by by like taking her you know like the equivalent of of into a dark alley or something. Yes. You know, I I find this so. thing very frustrating because even though I'm not a romantic person, I am a big huge fan of chivalry. Mm-hmm. strongly believe in chivalry and i don't know if it's because i'm a second generation north american or what it is right but i have some very like i believe in equality i'm not a feminist like to me feminism is no different than chauvinism one's done with a vagina one's done with a penis or racism <sighs> or whatever right like they're all isms and ism <clears throat> is not equality i'm for equality i'm not for isms and um but i have this thing where there's nothing wrong with like I get so much flack 
from women because I chose to put my family first. And we didn't fight for your rights to work if you're going to stay at home and be a mom first. I'm like, I thought you fought for rights so I had the choice. The choice, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like Grace, this is is a, Grace is a stay-at-home mom aside from all her community yes. you know, stuff and, and her classes and all that. And but, it uh, wasn't because some men. It's because I believe the most important job you will ever have is being yeah. a parent. And well, the reason I, why a lot of families have the issues that they do is because most are... Two parent working families, and I don't right, care if it's the right. dad or the mom who stays home. One of the parents needs to be home and raising those children. Yeah. Otherwise, don't have them. Now, the, the, the upcoming issue we've got is that, you know, she's been doing this for a few years, and at some point, like, I would like to be a stay-at-home dad for a while. Why don't you go yeah. get get work? But she hasn't been, you know, it's it's harder for her to earn because she's enough. Been out of the, yeah. And also yeah. she's been out of the workplace for so long, it's going right. to just getting back into it is, is such a struggle. Even right. in Canada, where we have programs for that type of thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, our our local work situation, at least you know, in the state, is just imploded. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it's dire, you know. So. So, so yeah. I'm. I don't know. Like, if a guy wants to pull out my chair for me, or if he wants to open the door, or if he wants to do whatever, like some younger women think these, like it's. He thinks I'm not capable of those things. It's, no, he's trying to show you he cares and take care of you, and he's being chivalrous. And but it's the same the same younger women who would think that being like uh, ignored after a one night stand is normal. You know, yes. uh, it's, it's a weird combination of. It's a really uh, weird thing, and I'm like, there's, there's like, I'm not a romantic person, but if a someone wants to do something like that for me it's again it's the small things because they probably the bigger gestures i'm gonna be like well that was a waste of time and money like that's not gonna serve any purpose at the end of the day like the most romantic gift i ever got aside from 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 one thing that was that was not tangible that i was surprised with was um a one it was an external hard drive that was sent to <laughs> of flowers that's hilarious. And that's that's my flowers. Oh, that was he, he wanted disc. to send he wanted to send me flowers, but he knew I wouldn't appreciate it, so he sent me a one terabyte hard drive. I can, drive I can back up my computer. That's so sweet. It was it was the <laughs> he cares about heard. my data. <laughs> no, it's like he it was the most it was the mm. most like I was beside myself. And like I even squeaked, I'm like, oh my god, you just sent me flowers in the form of a hard drive. And he's like, oh, I'm so happy you saw it that way because that's exactly like I had was about to order the flowers and like oh, she's not gonna like that, but I want to send her something that's yeah. Oh, and so the fact that I got that was his version of sending like flowers that's, that I that's would appreciate. Awesome. That's awesome. And it is awesome. And whenever I tell you got a hard drive and you're happy about that, I'm like, yeah, it's one terabyte of data. <laughs> It's something I can use. <laughs> All right. Well, it is just past midnight, and I'm sorry oh, to, it to, is to uh, too. I'm sorry to interrupt and all that. And I've been having a really uh, lovely time, a lovely chat. Um, but I, I have to get up early, and the kids are going to be waking up before I'm even had my caffeine. Yes. And, and so I, I probably should should sign off. But um, so yeah, I'm I'm I probably wind up uh if you'll. Uh, send me somehow. You'll probably have to upload it to a file share service. I can or something. upload it to my own personal server. Okay. I'll give you the link for that. Uh, and then um, I'll I'll mix it. And I'm not really unless there's something you really want to hack out of it. I'm happy nope. just to. 
just to use it. I'll probably split it into two halves because that's just huge files. Just, I usually break up like it's because it's going to be the call itself is coming up on two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, if you want to, my interviews have been extraordinarily long and people okay. download them whole and whatever. But no, um, do you want it in MP3 or WAV format? Uh, if you can do WAV, I'd be happier yep. with that. I can uh, although um, Sean Hurley put his up in MP3, but he must have encoded it at a really high rate because it sounded fantastic. But yeah, I I, I hear um, I'm touchy about compression artifacts, <laughs> so so I usually upload in 320 MP3 after I uh, master it. But I'll have to see how how it sounds. I've I have a a plugin that I I use for compression that it's actually a preset called uh, NPR, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it sounded pretty good last time I did it. So I'll I'll try that and see try and, and get your voice. Uh, do you want to be on the left or right? It doesn't matter to me. I prefer mm-hmm. left actually because that's the ear I hear better out of. I'm, okay. I'm a left ear person. Like when it comes to the phone and everything, I'm I'm left-handed. Okay. Because I, I, when I did this last time, I um, I panned them hard left and hard right, and uh, Meredith uh, listened and said, "Wow, I usually don't like hard panned interviews." Like hard pan. Oh, you mean you could do it some <laughs> other way? It hadn't occurred to me that most I had I had it's something strange. I never had really paid attention and realized that they typically you don't pan. But I, I kind of liked the effect of having it sound like on headphones you're listening to people on yes. either side of you. So yes. I don't know. Anyway, okay, I'll put you on the left and uh, we'll, okay. I'll mix it together. And I'm not going to edit a lot, so it shouldn't take. Uh, I'll, I'll probably get it up tomorrow if I get a chance. Okay. okay. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It's been a you're lot welcome. of fun. Okay, okay I'll care. talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.